Dave Smith, president of the Kanye West fan club, is here. <laughs> <laughs> Comic Dave Smith on Twitter. Tweet him pictures of your dick. He loves them. Just I can't. love Kanye and dick pics. <laughs> I'm glad we got that out. Well, seriously, dude, thanks for doing this because I loved you on Ari's podcast, man. You were fucking awesome on it. It was really cool. It was very, Thank it was, you. It was a, a welcome surprise. You know, not that Ari's uh, podcast is not always awesome. It's always awesome. But I was like, damn, this dude needs a, a lot of political shit. Well, and you knew about the, the Hillary Clinton thing with the uh, rape uh, trial that she was involved in. Defending the the guy. Well, expl explain it because it's it's a fucked up story, and I don't want to get it wrong. Okay, so Hillary Clinton. This is way back when she was a criminal defense attorney. She got a, a child rapist off, and a real bad one. It wasn't one of those good child rapists. It was a really <laughs> like, but like, it was like just, Jared. When they, yeah, he's banging fifteen year olds. Like a nice guy who's making sandwiches. Right. Be, you know, gives you a little extra pickles. You suck his dick. <laughs> But even like, well, I, you know, you heard like the the way uh, Michael Jackson was accused of raping right. boys. That was like the nicest way you could rape a kid. Mm, it was like right. take him to an amusement park. Right. Yeah. Talk nice. Show him the llama and the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Child rape is bad. Okay. Let me start it's with that. Horrible. The worst thing ever. Kanye dick pics good. Yes. Child rape bad. <laughs> I just want to be clear on where I stand. Uh, but so she, so this guy, uh, um basically raped a, a 12 year old girl and really brutal the details of the story and she uh, defended the guy and there's a there's tape of her in an interview talking about this years later now it's still it's back in the day it's when Hillary Clinton's doing like a southern accent there's been like six different Hillary Clintons that have existed this was the southern wife of Bill Clinton Hillary when she was uh, when he was the mayor of or governor of Arkansas yeah. back mm -hmm. in those days so was that uh, early 80s yeah, somewhere around that around that time period. I'm not sure. I'm not sure precisely where the tape is from, um, but she is. I mean, it's it's there's there's a lot of videos I could point to online that's I think strong evidence that Hillary Clinton is a sociopath. I'm I'm personally convinced of that. Now I'm not a professional and I right. can't diagnose her, but this video is really up there. I mean, she's laughing about the details of the rape case and how she got the guy off, and she laughs about. How uh, funny it is when when she basically admits that she knew the guy was guilty, because she's going like, "Oh, we convinced the jury it was a big miscarriage of justice," and she's she says that he took a polygraph and and passed it, and then she says that forever destroyed my belief in polygraphs. So oh, she's basically God. saying, "I know this guy raped this this little girl, but we were able to get him off." And she laughs about having the the bloody underwear as the big the piece of evidence. I mean, it's really really intense. Intense, awful shit. And what's really crazy about it is that in this world of, like, you know, rape culture and social justice warrior liberal outrage, there is just deafening silence when it comes to the Clintons. Do you think it's a lack of information? Because most people don't go looking for this stuff. For stuff like what you're talking about, most people have to find it on Fox News and go, what? Outrageous. They don't go looking for it because there's, there's a lot you'd have to look through. I mean, you'd have to go through all the Whitewater stuff. You'd have to go through all that Vince Foster stuff. You'd have to try to find... I mean, there's a lot of like weird stuff about them in their past that you'd have to sort through. How much of this is legit? How much isn't? Most people aren't going to do that. And yeah. so it's, it's not being discussed. And you have to filter out like the just nonsense because yeah. that's, that's the problem with where we're at now is that the truth is out in the internet, but it's sandwiched in between a whole bunch of nonsense. And, and so you got to like get that out of the way. Yeah, and the conspiracy theories would say that nonsense is there on purpose. 
Yes, that's right, because everybody, every conspiracy theorist, as it turns out, when I read more conspiracy theorists, it turns out they were just working for the conspiracy. Yeah. And they're against, like, Alex Jones, yeah. they all think now is, is working CIA. for. <laughs> uh, trust me, Alex is my friend. He's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> There's no CIA involved no, there. Well, that's a fun thing uh, when you get into stuff that people think is a conspiracy, and then you're like, oh, no, 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 it's just a crazy guy. Well, I've heard conspiracies that involve me. And so when I hear that, I go, oh, I see how you, I've, I've read some shit about me being a CIA agent. Like, yeah, what a circuitous route I took. I went from kickboxing <laughs> to stand-up comedy, all the while secretly undercover Listen, for the CIA. We're going to plant him in news radio, and before you know it, he'll be leading public opinion. Dude, here's an even funnier one. I have a, Eddie Bravo thinks that it's perhaps possible, perhaps, that Laurel Canyon was all about uh, CIA psyops and Jim Morrison and all these uh, music, musical, musical, I'm in the middle of saying musicians, musical, powerful LA pot, um, <laughs> that they were all a part of some CIA plan to, uh, to like institute the drug movement. Like, I don't even understand the plan, I don't, but the idea is that all these influential people came out of the, this Laurel Canyon area and Jim Jim Morrison's dad was in the CIA and my take is like Jesus Christ you know how much fucking how busy CIA dads are they're never around for their kid of course their kid <laughs> grows up to be Jim Morrison it's not that like the dad was there influencing yeah. him with a fucking hypnosist uh, one of those watches you are going to be the voice of a generation what? right that's not no one engineer or something like that all things being equal it's best to look at the the most simple answer uh right yes. but occam's razor right exactly uh i i do think like i feel like with a lot of those conspiracy theories like my take in on it is like you you have like the government who it's almost like if the government was a person you could be like okay we've got them on murdering these 50 people and we have it cold hard they clearly did it and then you're like yeah but i heard a rumor that they also murdered another hundred people and you're like can we just focus on what we know they did right like we're slaughtering people in the middle east we don't need to make up all this other nonsense just to yeah. make it like more sellable. Well, it's this this idea uh, that we're being controlled. That's the one that's the it's that's the overlying theme, I guess, or the, the over. It's it's if you look at like all of the conspiracies, whether they're chemtrails or whether it's all about like engineering, like global warming. It's like geoengineering. There's all this. It's all about engineering things. Right. It's all about people that are worried about eugenics. They want like Alex Jones says they want to kill five. They want to leave 500 million people worldwide or something like that. Like they mm -hmm. have this, this fucking number. Is it like whoa, 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 whoa? Are they going to be immortal? Like, uh, do they know what the fuck they're doing? Like, you, you really, you really think that this is a plan <laughs> to kill everyone except a half a million? Look, I do think there's some really shady plans that are up there at the top. <clears throat> I think what they get wrong sometimes is they think that um, that everything that's happening was actually controlled from the top. I think there's plans yeah. that people in, in like the Bilderberg Group is real right. that exists that's 100%. out there, and I think they do want to control the world. But I think more often than not. They have like 10 things they want to do. Uh, some of them work out, some of them don't. Yeah. Then they roll with the punches on that. Then they try to change things from there. It's not as perfect as like everything they did worked out perfectly and was. Right. But, you know, it's a little easier. It's, it's, more, it's more of a fun story if they're just in ultimate control of oh, everything. Yeah. Well, then the, you have that number, the 500 million number. Like, why is, how do you know that number? That's specific. Like, this is what I heard, 500 million. Oh, I wonder if I'd make the cut. But People I start do, thinking about all the billions of people. 500 million is not that much. If you think about 7 billion, they're probably going to kill all the <laughs> Indians. 
You start to think whether you could make the cut. Yeah. Like, Am I top 500 million? You just start thinking if they're going to leave 500 million people on the planet. There's room. There's some wiggle room there. Like, okay, you're going to need like 60 comedians. Did you want to get in, though? I mean, what are they going to do with all those bodies? What are they going to do with six and a half billion bodies? How bad is the earth going to smell for like a month? Right? Yeah, that's a good point. It's a very good point. Have these guys thought this through? I don't think they thought. Well, not only that, what if you kill the wrong people? What if the people that you kill were going to figure out a way to cure cancer or get us to Mars or, you know, you just can't. But that's why that whole, that's why believing, um, which is a much more common belief out of the conspiracy thing, but believing that population's a problem is is crazy because, like you said, you never know when that you know, they, they'll, like, uh, environmentalists, they'll be like, well, if we have too many people, then there's too big a uh, carbon footprint. But you're like, yeah, except until we have the one person who figures out how to save all of us. Right. And then that guy, you know. You need a bunch of people to get that. You don't get that in a village with log cabins. That's right. They don't figure out how to fix the world. <laughs> they just don't. You need millions of people. They need to live in cities. Food needs to be delivered to them. They need to be safe. And then they can come up with ideas. This thing is a game of numbers. <laughs> it is right. a you fucking, gotta, you have mad, mad numbers, man. We got to throw a lot. But Oh, <laughs> I did want to address what you asked before. Oh, L.A. Pot is powerful. Powerful, uh, right? But what you One said before, when you're talking about the stuff with the Clinton uh, tape, and you said, why, uh, why, you know, is it, that people are, they need yeah. to find the information. I think there is some of that, right? Because say, if, if they made this a story on the news, like if every day they were playing, they it's amazing the power the media has to choose what story we're gonna make the story, and what story will maybe get mentioned here and then yeah. fall and in, you know, fade into obscurity. So they could, the media could make that a story that everyone has to deal with, but I've found there's a, a lot of denial. Like when I talk to liberals or, or Hillary supporters, and I'll bring that stuff up, and there's a lot of like, yeah, well, yeah, whatever. Exactly. Like whatever. But the same people who are like, we live in a rape culture, and we'll go after like Tosh for making a, a joke in bad taste. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, well, here's this woman laughing about getting a child rapist off. Forget some abstract contributing to rape culture. Contributing to rape culture, getting a rapist who would have gone to jail back out onto the streets. And so it's like, to me, a mix of the media doesn't do their job, and then people are also kind of in denial. Well, people are intensely tribal, intensely mm -hmm. tribal in their support for brands. You know, forget about political parties. Political parties oftentimes are like the most tribal. I mean, I follow people that all they do is mock liberals online, and then I follow other people where all they do is mock conservatives. And God, they're so similar. Oh, they're, they're so the same similar. Fucking people. There's atheism, and then there's these people that are super religious. There's all this God Christian stuff on the right, and then on the left, it's like atheism is their God. And I don't mean it in their God as like it's it's an actual religion they follow. I mean, you almost kind of have to be in that group to be on that side. It's this weird thing that's going on where you've got people that are subscribing to atheism nothing wrong with atheism it's not what i'm saying i'm just saying god is it's so universal on the left that it seems to me to be a trait that you attribute with this tribe like almost like you have to accept this trait right and then i i think and i guess that's maybe a criticism i have of uh like sam harris and, mm -hmm. and some of the, i know you had him on your show recently but i think a lot of those guys who got themselves like in this camp of we're the atheists mm -hmm. we're the ones committed to rational thought and religion is terrible and now, if they'll, they'll look at things like uh, the, the wars in the Middle East, and it just seems like, to me, it seems like they have a tendency 
to always try to blame the religiously motivated violence because I think they've kind of got themselves on like team anti-religion. Mm. We're on team atheist. So the Muslims have to be worse than the American military because they're the religious ones. We're like sophisticated and advanced and everything about the, the U.S. military is built on like science and reason and thought. And they, these are crazy Muslims who are mm. just maniacs. So we have to blame them, even though if you look at the numbers of dead, it's pretty staggeringly one-sided, like we're murdering yeah. them. Not only that, we're also in where they live, so that has to be taken into account. Well, we had to get there, we had to go there, I understand. But let's just look at the actual facts. Let's not cast any judgments, look at the facts. We are where they live, um, we don't speak their language, mm -hmm. we come in in mass, and we kill a fuckload more people than they do. And the, a good percentage of the people that are in the military are Christian. Yes, very decent size. Uh, a very, a very big percentage, yeah. and then a very big percentage of like the hardcore supporters, the people like who are really hardcore, the evangelical base that voted yeah. for George W. Bush. A big part of that support is this goofy religious belief that uh, we need to be pro-Israel because right. the Jews need to be in Israel, and that's what then Jesus can come back for us. And if some Muslims got to get slaughtered in the process, well, this is how it's supposed to go. So we got to protect that. There's a lot of that weird. Shit on our side as well a lot of weird old southern money that goes into mm -hmm. that yeah there's a great vice piece on those people there's a great vice piece where they um i forget you know vice has so many of those online shows that are awesome it's hard to know which one it was but they went with these people to israel these crazy evangelicals who were going back to the motherland and it's like they were like well this is where jesus is going to camp you know, this is where we're going to set up his fire here and he'll pull his trailer in right here. Like they had, it was almost like that in his head. Like he was setting up. Like, I got two Budweiser's, one for me, one for Jesus when he gets here. Weird, weird. But you, if you're on the right, like even Gavin McInnes, who I love. I'm, I love Gavin. Love Gavin. I, I, Gavin's a bright, bright guy. But he's also a Catholic and he became a Catholic like late in life. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, what are you doing? Like what? Do you, what is this? Like you? It's almost like you have to be a part of something that's religious to get in on the right side. Like uh, Glenn Beck became a Mormon when he was like fifty. Like, hey, dude, come on! Did you even read it? Did you read any of the history about Joseph Smith being fourteen when he made all this shit up and the it's, magic seer stone that he had uh, to use to read the golden tablets that contained the lost work of Jesus that only he could read with this rock? <laughs> I'm torn between whether I hate Mormonism for that or I love them for love that. I'm like, them. hey, if we're gonna bullshit, yeah. let's just go bullshit. Like, yeah, Jesus <laughs> he lived in Kansas. I don't know. He was friends with my grandpa. Why not? Well, the American Indians were actually from Israel. <laughs> yeah. That was another one of his that this guy spent a ton of money. Um, you know, we were talking with when Sam was here the other day We were talking about how 15 years ago. It was like billions of dollars to get your genome mapped now It's like a couple thousand bucks and we were talking about how crazy that is like what it what an insane leap Well a few years back is one of the before it became that cheap some dude spent a fuck ton of money It was a Mormon to try to prove that the Mormon scriptures were in fact correct and the American Indians did come but we learn from that, actually. It's actually it wound up being good for science because this guy spent so much money. We realized, no, they actually came from Siberia. So it reinforces the idea of them crossing the landmass, the Bering Strait, and, and coming into America from Asia. So they are Siberian. Like, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, the, 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 the merge or the, um, the movement, migration of people from Asia to North America and down into Mexico. And it's really fucking cool when you find out that it's not that long ago, you know? 
few thousand years, you know, at the most 20, yeah. you know, whatever it was, like during the Ice Age. It's not that long ago, man. It's, it's crazy. Uh, history is a weird thing like that. Like even when we talk about things, you know, you'd be like World War II. World War II was like that long ago. Yeah. It was like your grandfather was there. Yeah. It, like that's, that's, that's just happened. Just yeah. happened historically. Yeah, Vietnam. And how about Vietnam? There's one that this conspiracy theories can really grab a hold of the Gulf of Tonkin. Well, yeah, like what? That's but that's my point. Before it's like, why are we even wasting our time with anything else? Right. Let's grab that one right. and hold on to that one. That was bullshit. We know that was bullshit. Uh, tens of thousands of Americans died in that war. Let alone how many Vietnamese we just slaughtered. Just like mass slaughter that people made billions off of. That was bullshit. 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 We don't need any more. Like, False we, flag attack. Yeah. yeah. If look it up, folks. I mean, if you're listening to this, going what you're sitting on your uh, porch in Georgia with your lemonade, hating black people, just go online. <laughs> <laughs> and it's fun. I get it. Who doesn't want to sit on their porch with lemonade and hate black people? I know I do. <sighs> if you if you really do read that story, it's horrific. And then you realize, oh, well, this was deception was the rule of the land at that time. This was when they had the Operation Northwoods. Um, th thing that had been passed, mm -hmm. and if you haven't seen that document, that's crazy. They this was signed by the Joint Chiefs of Staff and then vetoed by Kennedy, where they were going to attack American civilians. They were going to bomb. They were going to bomb Guantanamo Bay. They were going to arm Cuban friendlies, and they were going to give them weapons to attack Guantanamo Bay. They were going to blow a drone jetliner out of the sky, blame it on Castro, and wind up killing a ton of people. And they were doing it all just to get support of this idea of attacking Cuba. So they were going to pretend that all these people died, you know, and, and just, you know, gonna, yeah. I, I don't know, how, could they take off in a plane uh, back then? I'm not sure where the drone technology mm. was at, but this was the plan. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was a plan that I think Kennedy himself had to, had to, Veto. Put, put, yeah. had to not sign off on or whatever. Um, and, you know, they took care of him quickly. Allegedly. Yes. That's the other conspiracy, right? That's the uh, big one. Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone seems to me to be even a dumber conspiracy than there was a bunch of people involved killing that I guy. I couldn't agree with you more on that one. But it's it's just the the Northwood thing is just a fascinating you know, glimpse into the mindset of the people who are who are on the inside who really yeah. do view the world as as pawns on, on a chessboard. And if you know uh, if a lie is what it took to get the geopolitical result that they wanted and some Americans had to die or whatever. That's not a big deal. And and I think people should be aware of that. Like anyone, a lot of times, like you, you were talking about getting in the team mentality, people kind of have this team mentality and they're like, well, they don't, you know, if someone's willing to just slaughter people in a third world country to make their buddies rich, I'd be careful with them around your kids too. You know, like they're, they're probably looking at everybody like they're pawns on a board, not just those guys. Yeah, I think people learn really quickly how to disassociate they learn how to not think about that especially when you're using like drone technology and stuff you're flying a robot and shooting missiles out of a robot and you're watching it all on a screen how easy is it to distance yourself from that if you're the person not even who's pushing the button but who gave the order to give the okay you yeah. know, and when I talked to, I had Mike Baker on here, who was a former CIA operative. Yeah, I've been on a few Fox News shows with him. He told me all that stuff is done by lawyers. They all decide, like, can we do this? Can we do this? And the lawyers sit down, they hash it out, and they give them the green light or the red light. I'm like, whoa, that is fucking dark. When you're leaving military matters and whether or not you attack with a flying robot to lawyers 
arguably the most heartless creatures we've ever <laughs> created in our capitalist society. Well, that's who, that, and by the way, that's who's running government, right? That's like what it's Hillary all lawyers. Clinton is. That's what Hillary Clinton is, what yeah. Obama is, what Michelle Obama is, what Bill Clinton was. Ooh. I mean, that's what they all are. They're all lawyers. You know, not the to say there's people. not great lawyers. There's of awesome course. people out there that are lawyers. That's not what I'm saying. But even if you're an awesome person that's a lawyer, you fucking know some psychos. Let me tell you, the awesome person who's a lawyer is the most adamant, like, do not put lawyers in charge. <laughs> Dear it's God. Do not, that's like, look, I'm a comedian, but if you were like, should comedians be in charge? I would be like, I, Jesus, no. no. We, yeah. won't, we won't make it through this podcast. Yeah, they shouldn't be in charge of anything. So that's, yeah. Even comedy we shouldn't be in charge yeah, of. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Can't be, right. Because then you get like these alt rooms. They get mad at you if you talk loud. But you know, uh, like, like <laughs> when people are in charge of anything, they fuck. Oh up. yeah, uh, but uh, you're talking about the drone wars. Um, there's this uh, guy, this brilliant historian, uh, Tom Woods. I don't know if you've heard of him. But I he's have got, heard He's of got him. a great podcast. He's incredible. This guy, like the I, to me, like maybe like the smartest libertarian voice out there. Well, what's his podcast called? It's called the Tom Woods Show. Oh, uh, yeah. You should. You would love him. I think uh, he would be great on your. I show. didn't know he had a podcast. Yeah, he's got a podcast. He's just a brilliant historian. He he nails all this stuff. But he uses this analogy, and I love it. Uh, uh, he just goes. So imagine we we used the drone campaign. Like imagine we we fought crime that way. So you know, imagine there'd be like someone was like, uh, so we've got um, two suspected criminals at a wedding in in you know California somewhere. I go, so the plan is we're going to bomb the wedding. I mean, wouldn't everybody just be like, whoa, <laughs> that's yeah. not okay. You can't do that because there's, there's innocent human life there. Uh, but literally, we, that's just how we conduct the war in the Middle East. Yeah, it's, but they don't. It's, it's sort of disingenuous because they don't know it's a wedding. They just see a group of people gathered, and then they know the, the dickhead's in there, and they want to blow them up. And then okay. it turns out to be a wedding, and we're like, oh, shit. Okay, so still, yeah. put that it's in the analogy. Up. It's say we, up, say that's how we, we fought crime here. We go, well, we just follow the right. metadata yeah. on your cell phones, and wherever you happen to be, mm -hmm. we're going to blow that place up. Yeah, that's what's important to, to point out, too, is that they're shooting at phones. Mm -hmm. They don't even have a visual ID on the person. They, they find where the phone is. They do the find my iPhone feature <laughs> with the eye in the sky. And then they launch a, a, a aptly named Hellfire missile at it. Mm -hmm. That's dark, too. That they have cool nicknames for their missiles. Hellfire. Oh, dude, they do all this shit. All the, like, uh, you see, like, the operation names? It's oh, always yeah, like, yeah. Operation Kick-Ass. <laughs> Desert, Desert Shield. Storm. Oh, yeah. Desert Shield. Jesus Christ, just just fucking 18-year-olds yeah. blasting ACDC, rolling yeah. through some exactly. fucking town. It's like, Jesus. Well, have you ever seen those pieces that they've done on those kids that were, were involved in, like, operating those tanks that would listen to metal? Mm -hmm. I yeah. mean, that's that's bizarre, too. You're letting these kids get jacked up on metal, and who knows what else you let them have. They probably let them have amphetamines. They definitely let them have steroids. Mm -hmm. They give steroids to soldiers. That's that's common shit. Yeah, and there's a reason they prefer an 18-year-old to a 30-year-old. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason they prefer, you know, someone who's still in just as good fighting shape or what, you know, essentially. Yeah. But mm -hmm. they but when you're 18, you're you're in a different place, your levels are at a different place, and your your willingness to follow orders. Yeah. I think is a much is in a different place. Well, you we're all essentially like 
you know, older people being wiser if they've had enough experiences, but we're all gathering experiences, gathering experiences and then calculating, trying to figure out, okay, why did that go wrong? Well, what is that? Oh, here's that fucking thing again. Oh, here's this. Oh, I see how it goes. You know, that's why as people get older, they get less and less tolerant of certain things because they see these things over and over and over again and they recognize these patterns. And you get more confident in your assertion of that pattern because you're like, right. I've seen this bullshit six yeah. times now. I, I mean, know. I mean, it works that way with politics too. Like, that's the, the common expression about radicals in college. You know, uh, show me a young man who's not a liberal, and I'll show you a man without a heart. Show me an old man who's not a conservative, and I'll show you a man without a brain. Right. Because after a while, you go, oh, I see. You know, and it's not black and white when it comes to that issue, but when you're you're dealing with something that, you know, a human being that g gathers up this data. When you're 18, what do you got? A couple fucking birthday parties you remember? The first time you got your dick sucked was only six months ago? Yeah. Like, what do you remember? What do you what do you have to base on? What do you what do you know? Movies? You watch a lot of movies? That's probably what they're basing it on. Right. They think their life's gonna be some fucking Tom Hanks movie. They're gonna come back and cry to their kids when they're younger, when they're older rather, about uh, you know, I served in the war, served my country, did my country proud. <laughs> now you you might go home with no legs. Like you're in a crazy situation where you're killing people you don't know because someone you don't know told you you're supposed to kill people you don't know. And a lot of them figure it out. It's yeah. just they figure it out when they see that real shit that you're yeah. talking about. Because you know there is also that's another thing that's very very downplayed, but uh, should have been maybe the biggest story in at least one of the biggest stories in the last 10 years, was that Ron Paul, in, 2000, in the 2008 run and in the 2012 run, in both runs, he got more money, more donations from active duty military people than all of the other candidates. He got more than the, all the Republican candidates combined in 2012. <laughs> and he, got, he outraised uh, Barack Obama both times. So wow. it's like there's actually a lot of people in, this military, uh, in the military who see through this bullshit and were very happy to have like, the only, I mean, Ron Paul to me is like the only politician on a presidential level in recent memory who has been unapologetically anti-war. And not just, not just like this hasn't worked, like this is a bullshit racket. And yeah. we started it. Yeah. Yeah, when you get that many active military on your side, you really have to really think, well, these are the people that are dealing with this issue. It's a part of their life. Mm -hmm. It affects their families. It affects their friends, their loved ones, all the people they serve with. The whole thing is... It's, it's it's so hard to believe that they've been able to keep this going for so long and this war with no end This war against terrorism is one of the most devious things because it, Whether or not terrorism exists it certainly does whether or not we have to combat terrorism We certainly do whether or not we have to take measures to ensure the safety of the people we definitely do a hundred percent but there's something really suspicious about an unnamed enemy Mm -hmm. Or an right. unseen enemy or an enemy. That's just terrorism. It's like a it's like herpes just floating through All these parts of the world like well, you don't even have a we don't there's not even a country with a leader anymore Like now it's just terrorism Well, it, it works out pretty great if you're like a weapons company That's making more money than ever or if you if you wanted to keep this military budget, you know I mean uh, uh, the you know people were I, I liberals were all outraged over George W. Bush's military budgets and Obama greatly expanded those and uh, so yeah if you're making tons of money off it it works out great to have kind of this vague concept that we're fighting a war against what you said I do think terrorism obviously like you said exists I think terrorism as Pat Buchanan said is the price of empire and it kind of always has been 
and this is what we're going to be dealing with as long as we want to have an empire in the Middle East. Right, but now it's not it's not like a one particular enemy. It's this vague threat of attacks by irrational people and then you see them scattered throughout the world and other places where they don't have the kind of security that we do. Right. And so it reinforces idea our idea that the TSA is important and you got to get through that line and yeah. you got to be nice to these people even and, though they failed on like 95%. Did you see that test? Yeah. They failed 95% of the like <laughs> fake knives and bombs. These are all getting in. They're just just, they're just feeling up old people. Yeah, they, they felt me up the other day. Did they? To check my dick. They yeah, check my dick. Happened to me uh, with the back of his hand. He had to go up the both sides of my dick. Did he give you the nice exclamation uh, explanation yep. about how he's going to do it? And mm -hmm. sir, we're going to feel with the back of our hand. Mm -hmm. The guy who did it to me, and uh, like I said earlier, I'm no conspiracy theorist, but when they're like, "You've been randomly selected for additional screening," and inside I'm like, "It was that last podcast, huh?" I got I hit something. Is that okay. what you think? No, I'm just, no, I, I was I'm just, I'm just it was some gay about. stuff. <laughs> well, he, you know what he said to me? What? How nice weird is package, this? Bro. He goes, uh, <laughs> "No, that would be that would be more uncomfortable." <laughs> But he said before he did it, I don't know if the guy said it to you, but he goes, uh, if you want, we can bring you to a private room for this. Yeah, they did say that. Yeah. And I was like, dude, we're going to do this right here, right now. I don't want to do this in a private room. You know, Ew, a light a candle or something. Yeah, you're going to play George Michael music? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I don't know, I mean, but it's so convenient that they need the kind of security that the NSA was trying to get, or the, the kind of... Um, um, not security, but um, the, the kind of invasion of privacy that the NSA was doing with monitoring your metadata and the ability to check all your emails and the fact that what Snowden exposed was kind of everybody's worst fear about all this stuff was that one day we're going to get to a point where they're recording everything and you're always going to be scared to speak your mind in yeah. private, in public, with your friends, because you think they could always hear, and if there's certain key things that you say that upset them, well, they could just target you. Like, they were talking about people in the NSA were actively targeting their ex's email accounts. Oh, yeah. And reading their ex's emails. But th this, this is just... <laughs> It's, it's of course it's going to happen. It's human beings. It's yep. you know I, a buddy, a friend of mine, like worked at a bank, and he told me how they had a big problem with people like checking on celebrities' accounts, checking on other people, other friends of theirs' accounts. It's it's human nature. I think to, personally, I think the biggest thing that uh, Snowden exposed, more so than any particular program, was that he exposed that that guy Clapper said, you know, Clapper was, I think, just uh, six months a year before Snowden released those files to, uh, through Glenn Greenwald at the Guardian. He, he, before a congressional hearing goes, there is no bulk mass data collection. And that's what's amazing about what Snowden, you know, showed you. That they will, just understand that, they will lie through their fucking teeth to you. Like, yeah. they're liars. They're not, like, misguided, or they don't know what's happening. It's, it's, you know, they're telling you what they think you need to know so they can get away with their bullshit. Yeah. And, and that, to me, is, is a very important thing for people to realize. Well, that's the, the real insidious problem with the us versus them idea is that they're just people too. So you've people that are operating these mass surveillance programs on other people. Mm -hmm. There's nothing like, there's nothing essentially noble about them. They haven't passed any tests. They haven't shown themselves to be some people that are devoid of jealousy and pettiness and clear thought always right. and they're just the smartest people we know so we give them this position because they're so they're like the knights of the watch you know well right you just go oh the wise yeah. overlords oh, they, are... they will watch us they will watch they will protect us you know i was arguing um, i was arguing with uh what's his name uh who you br uh, brought up baker uh i was on a, a panel with him on, on a fox news show and we were talking about it was the apple 
Yes. Versus, uh, when the Apple versus the FBI thing, which I guess is still going on. But uh, So I was kind of siding with Apple, and he was siding with the FBI. And I remember Baker said to me, he, go, he was like, Dave, what are you worried? Are you worried they're going to be checking your emails or checking your phone? You know, like that kind of attitude. And I was like, the FBI was spying on civil rights leaders being run by a cross-dressing maniac. Like, yeah, I don't trust these people are going to – I don't trust those people any more than I trust any group of people. Yeah, the fact that they think that that organization has been cleaned up, like how much J. Edgar Hoover and what they did during the, well, it's, it's coming out now more, it's really interesting, the stories that are coming out now about how the war on drugs was a big part mm -hmm. of their plan to try to uh, break down the civil rights movement and break down these anti-war protesters because it's one thing they shared in common, they were all doing drugs. So they said, okay, this, we'll just have a fucking crazy war on drugs and we'll just go in and get these people, they're going to be smoking pot, we'll just arrest the shit yep. out of them. And just break up everything, and they really did. And it was—it's brilliant in, in terms of like strategy. If you're going to go after your enemies, I mean, it's a, it's a great way to do it. But we're still suffering the consequences of Nixon's actions from J. Edgar Hoover's guidance. I mean, that—that that was yeah. all—that's the whole pile that that was operating under. Yeah, and then you get this whole like it spawns this whole system of mass incarceration and private yeah. prisons and this whole nightmare. J. Edgar uh, Hoover was awesome, though. You got to love a guy who's, who's wearing a dress. Like cross dressing, banging dudes, keeping secrets, and it's and not like doing that today when no. it's cool. I, <laughs> exactly. He was doing this in a time when, like, if it came out, people yeah. would be just—I oh, mean, you're yeah. ruined. Well, that was how he kept it all under wraps. He—the reason that guy was so into getting into other people's shit is because he had so much shit to expose. He's like, "Well, I can't let this get out. I got to be proactive. <laughs> yeah. I just got to gather up data on everybody. Fuck Elvis. Fuck you know Jimmy Page. Yeah, but he just I went after everybody. I also think that there's something in Apparently, like if you're in the cross-dressing, banging dude scene, yeah. you're gonna meet other people with dirt too. That's so, like true. you know, the other guy who you're like, hey, look, we both know we're in that scene together, so you keep your mouth shut. That's true too. But I was like, that's one of those things where people always say that uh, if you uh, are with a partner and that per partner all of a sudden starts getting like crazy, irrationally jealous, it's probably because they're doing something sneaky. Yeah, you know. And what he was doing was sort of that. He was. J. Edgar Hoover was a fucking maniac, yeah. and he was in charge of the FBI. I mean, he was just a bona fide, insane person. But, but like you said, it's like, who's to say they're cleaned up? I think we right. always have this, this like idea that we get comfortable with the fucked up shit in the past. So we're like, oh, this was yeah. so fucked up, but now it's not like that or anything. Right. You know, we, we love right. to look back at slavery or look back at Jim Crow or look back at something. Like, oh, what were these people thinking? But if you look at, uh, I mean mass incarceration for nonviolent crimes or mass slaughter in the Middle East or any of this stuff that these people, believe me, if, if all the details of what's going on came out in 20 years, we're going to have the same attitude in 20 years and be like, man, fucked up, there's some fucked up shit going on in 2016. Yeah. Well, you know what's interesting to me? There's even tribalism in the government. Like the CIA and the FBI oh, don't yeah. get along, which is how, um, what's his name? General, um, the guy who got busted for cheating on his wife. Petraeus. Petraeus. That's how Petraeus got caught. The FBI, the FBI was, spying was on, going after the okay. CIA. So not only that, like, but- That's craziness. So Dianne Feinstein, who is the head of the Senate Intelligence uh, Committee, okay? So they're, they're tasked with overseeing the CIA. She came out and said that the CIA is spying on them. Like, I don't know exactly how they figured it out, but she came out and said, so the CIA is spying. But yeah, this doesn't get big story on, uh, like a big story on so the, the news. So the CIA is spying on the people who oversee the CIA? Yes, supposedly. Whoa. 
We have no clue. Rand Paul came out and said something along the lines of he was like, we don't even know who's running this thing when it comes to government. So I, I think the thing that libertarians. Whoa, Rand Paul said that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he said this like a, a year and a half ago when he was he, still doing well. He actually should know. That's why that's a scary thing. Like he actually should, he's probably talking to people. But there's also this weird thing where, look, I don't know exactly how it works, but there's this weird thing where like they'll tell you stuff, but then you can't talk about it. To anyone if it's like classified so a lot there's actually congressmen who don't want the classified information because they want to be able to say whatever they want to be oh. able to say it's a it's a whole clusterfuck but I think this is one of the things that libertarians uh, at least the type of libertarian that I am like that school of thought it really tries to emphasize j just don't look at government as if it's a different entity from humanity we're all people. Right. So it's like like you were saying before, like the CIA and the FBI, they're not one monolith. It's different power sources, yeah. different groups of people. And yeah, of course, they all are incentivized the way people are. And they're a corporation like any other business where there's mm -hmm. a bunch of people that are backstabbing each other trying to get to the top of the ladder. Yep. So they're fucking each other over inside the tribe. Yep. There's a lot of that going on. It's a fucking weird world, man. When you hear someone like Rand Paul saying, we don't know who's running this thing, no. that's the government. The whole government of the United States he's talking about. Yeah. He's talking about the strings behind the strings. And we don't know who's running it. Well, I mean, you see this, this uh, it, it's very interesting when you hear like, uh, like Hillary Clinton, it came out in one of these, uh, in one of her last batch of emails that, that got like released. It, it, it was like her and her team were bragging about how she had convinced Obama to go ahead with regime change in Libya. Oh, and it's that's like, right. And, and it's like, and then Gates comes out and writes his book and he's like, look, I was against it. Hillary was for, so it's, it's. It, just this fucking like you convinced a guy and mm. now this country is fucked well she and all yeah and well also did you i'm sure you saw the time where she was being interviewed and she was laughing about Gaddafi dying we came we well, saw he died when i said there's <laughs> there's video evidence of her being yeah. a sociopath i understand it's not Gaddafi didn't just die right before that it's not just that you're talking about a human being who died okay Gaddafi died the way that dictators fear you die his people got a hold of him and beat him and sodomized him to death. Yeah. He got like, I mean, it's about as disturbing as it could be. What? I, again, back to her laughing about getting the child rapist off. She, then a few days later, she's just cackling it up. There's a video of a guy stabbing him in the asshole. I mean, it's insane. You've seen that, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. He takes that knife and he shoves it in his ass. Yeah. While they're talking to him. And Gaddafi's so fucked up, he doesn't even know what's yeah, happening. Yeah, he's like in a state of like shock or some Massive shit's going shock. on. Yeah. There's a knife in his ass. <laughs> all these people have a hold of him. They're all yelling, Allah, Wakbar. Yeah, it's, that's, that's a bad way to go. <sighs> it's a crazy way to go. I wonder if that guy with the knife in his ass, I wonder if that'll be like, you know, the Iwo Jima statue <laughs> where they plant the flag <laughs> they'll make a statue of the one guy with a knife up Gaddafi's ass that's like that in, knife in is his over his fireplace right yeah. now it's, in uh, his neighborhood <laughs> that will be like you know that'll be his monument I mean it's, my uncle he stabbed Gaddafi in the ass there's a video on YouTube show it mama and she puts it on the big screen and everybody watches it yes Meanwhile, but, they're closing their ears and bombs are going <laughs> off in the background. Because <laughs> Libya is even more fucked up now than it was then. Like, that regime change oh. was terrible for the people who lived there. Oh, it's not even, you know, I think we lose sight of it sometimes when you, you'd be like, you know, it's like, oh, well, they're always fucked up, so it's a little bit more fucked up. But, but Libya was, by regional standards, one of the better places to be in the Middle East. And it is now 
I mean, a, a failed state. It's, I mean, it's just run by thugs and terrorist organi- uh, organizations. It's, it's a nightmare. Yeah, it's a, it's a breeding ground for ISIS now. Yeah, ISIS is all over the place there now. It's, it's, she's weird. She's weird because she gets all these free passes because she's a woman. It's very strange. Because that's that's a, a giant part of why people want to support oh, yeah. her. It's almost like, you know, we got one of ours in. You know, we're going to get one of ours in. Like, my own wife wants to vote for her because she's, she's a woman. I go, have you ever paid attention to what a cunt she is? Have you really read into... Allegedly, I should say. Ms. Clinton, I'm intoxicated and I'm not the alleged for the things I'm saying. <laughs> I don't mean it. I'm saying all this for humor. She's, I mean, she's not... The, the woman you want. It's not yeah. what you're looking for. You, she's not a scholar. Well, she's not a wise woman who's got some really kind words to say. She's a lifelong career politician. Yeah. And like you said, and that always, I mean, if you talk to any Hillary supporter, it is only, sometimes it's not the first thing they say, but if you give, like, give me three reasons why you want Hillary Clinton in there. Yeah. One of them has to do with her being a woman. Yeah, I think it'd be great to see a woman do it for a change. But it's mm-hmm. like, dude, and, sh- and by the way, that's what she runs on. Mm-hmm. She runs on yeah. women's issues. She plays yeah. that card all the time. I mean, she said, like, when Donald Trump called her on that, she was like, if I'm accused of playing the woman's card, deal me in. And that's, that's her cadence, by the way. It's just always this. Not as annoying. You, you need to be a little more annoying. Yeah. No, just the not the pitch. I don't have the pitch down. <laughs> she's she substitute having no charisma with just volume. Like yeah. she's like I can just if I go louder, maybe that's charismatic. Well, she's she doesn't just have no charisma. She's uh, oddly transparent in her creepiness. Like when she's doing these debates and Bernie Sanders is calling her out on taking all that money from the banks and how she does these speeches for a quarter million dollars and he'd like to read the transcripts. She's just sitting there while he's doing that. Just yeah. like this weird, like seething anger. Oh, you know she's smiling on the outside, but you know deep down she could fucking kill you. Like, and yeah. she's going over her preparation because they prepped her for this, so you know it come it comes out in this weird sort of robotic aikido move where she's trying to push it to the side like it's a fucking thug in a Steven Seagal movie. It's weird, man. Cause she doesn't really answer it. I, like, it's 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 in a way, it's the only thing that I find a positive about Hillary Clinton is that you can constantly you can see through her and you can point to that shit in other yeah. people and go, but see how she's full of shit. But yeah. how about for the woman card thing? Just the fact that uh, she's been taking like tens of millions of dollars from the Saudi government, something like a hundred million dollars from Muslim dictatorships. How can you run on the women's issue? It's like being a Jew running on Jewish issues and you do business with the Nazis. So and, she and takes there, this money and does what with it? Well, they, they take it for the Clinton Foundation, which is like her and Bill and Chelsea's foundation and they do all these projects and it's, it's all kind of in the name of charity and the name of philanthropy, but it's pretty clearly like you get like the Saudis aren't giving tens of millions of dollars to the Clinton Foundation because they all of a sudden decided to be really good people. They're doing it because they know the Clintons wield a lot of influence and this is their way of giving them money. And the Clintons can use that as leverage to justify their association with them because look all the good it does. Millions yeah, they of dollars can point go. to the good stuff, but in the meantime, they can also do all these projects and lots of different companies can make money off these projects. And then they get in and we have this creepy business relationship with Saudi Arabia, That's... who is the worst of the worst. Like all the shit that we, you know, I love, uh, I love when the war machine, whenever there's a war they want, 
they get real humanitarian all of a sudden. Like when Obama wanted to go back in uh, Syria, back into uh, Iraq, or when he wanted to go into Syria, it's like, oh, these people are getting gassed, or you know, there's a there's a few hundred Yazidis up on the top of a mountain and they could die. But when when Saudi Arabia is slaughtering their own people, when when Saddam was gassing people and we liked him, that was fine. It's only when when you're on the wrong side of whatever business deal we are, we have going on. All of a sudden, they're like, but think of the people. All of a sudden, John McCain cares yeah. about Muslim people. <laughs> he like, stops rrr, playing rrr, poker. Yeah. He's playing poker on his phone. Wait, hold on. Let me put this down for a moment and talk about the people. Yeah, it's we a little to... suspicious. Well, it's, it's less suspicious now, I guess, than uh, it was in the 1960s and the 1950s, probably before that was even more fuckery going on. But it seems like it's di more and more difficult to pull off the really obvious Operation Northwoods type shit. Like there, the transparency that we we're enjoying today, even though there's still a lot of questions, like what Jeb Bush was or what um, uh, Rand Paul was saying, mm -hmm. like we, we really have no idea who's running the whole thing at the very top. It seems like that's going to be exposed too eventually. It's all going to get chipped away because information just travels way quicker now than it yes. ever did before, and it's just too hard to hide shit. You know, it's like that's it, that force is on their side too, though. Like we have that force of like I right. information can spread, but they also have the predator drones. Like there was no way uh, a president in in the fifties or whatever could have just had the option to say bomb, you know, right. Yemen, Syria, uh, Libya, uh, and Pakistan, and all these different countries without sending troops there or having bases nearby. So. You know, we have right. advantages, they have advantages. Yeah, but it's all, what I was going to get at is that what's interesting is what we're seeing now from the like the NSA gathering data on everybody saying we need it to keep everybody safe. It's almost it almost mirrors like what J. Edgar Hoover was doing cuz J. Edgar Hoover had all that dirt on him and so to hide it, he just went after everybody else, keep everybody quiet, right. keep everybody scared. That I mean you could make that same comparison to this strategy the NSA is employed. Look, we'll just fucking monitor everything. And then if if I say, oh, this Dave guy's been talking a lot of shit. Let's check his emails. Oh, it's going to go bad. Oh, look at all this. I was joking. Yeah. I just want to say already I was joking. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? I mean, yes. it, that, that's an insidious sort of device that they yeah. can use to keep you quiet. Well, how about the fact that, it, you know, in 20 years, right, if there's some leader who's coming up who, who's a would-be, you know, some type of great leader – they're going to have grown up just entirely in the internet age, where if you have all of their metadata history, you have everything on that person. And then they can literally just go like, we want to ruin that guy. Yeah. And everybody's got something that could be a, an issue you could insert into a campaign sure. to ruin them. Or, you know. If you don't, you're boring. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And then I don't want you president anyway. If they can't ruin you by checking your emails, then I don't even want you that's president. That's a great way to put it. If, the, if you can't be ruined, yeah. I don't want you to be my leader. Who are you, you fucking weirdo? You pious weirdo from birth? Yeah, it's like you've just been clean, like going like, Mwah, I'll get power someday, <laughs> as long as I don't fuck up at all. No. Oh, she looks pretty, but stay hungry. We taught him while he was in his crib. <laughs> Keep your cards close to your test, Donnie. But that's like the thing close where they say, the that, they say that about George Washington, because they try to make him out to be such a great weirdo. Right. They're like, his father was like, did you cut down that cherry tree? And he was like, father, I can't tell a lie. You're like, what type of fucking creep was George Washington? Or maybe he had a, like, a really open relationship with his dad. Or just a dad who his, loved him. His dad Whatever. was really cool, and he knew, hey, hey, man, somebody chopped the tree down. You got blisters in your hand. What the fuck's going on, bro? <laughs> maybe there's just really compelling yeah. evidence. Or maybe that never fucking happened. You know, that's the other thing. Or maybe thing. more likely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all these stories that you get from the 1600s, like, come on, man. Those were barely people. 
Those were monkeys with clothes on. I mean, they, they barely knew how to write. And, and historians like to tell it as if they know for a fact yes. what happens, rather than just being like, hey, here's a nice guess yeah. at what maybe happened. They'll be like, he thought about going left, but then he went right. And kind yeah, of like, what? Right. Yeah. I've always wondered if one day they'll be able to create a computer that's so powerful that it will be able to somehow, through some unseen technology, take account of everything that's in place as it is right now in the world. Then monitor for a certain amount of time and then go backwards and try to figure out, well, all these things got into place because of these events and these motions and be able to recreate it digitally. It sounds ridiculous but hey, right knows? now. But if we can get to a place where they can literally do an account of everything that's happened Everything, every pebble that's on this earth and go, you know what? We can extrapolate. We can take all this data, follow it for a short amount of time, and then within a 99% accuracy, go back in time and recreate events. Like, that sounds so stupid and ridiculous, but that might be like almost a method of a virtual time travel, like just super calculation. You just take into account all the things that we do know, all the pieces that are in place right now, everything that's there, all the people that are there, and then figure out how they got there. Account for all factors. Yeah, account and, uh, for everything. A yeah. Massive super calculations impossible for the human mind to even conceive of, and then boom, they it, have a digital recreation of George Washington fucking his sister and lying about the cherry tree. And he was full of shit the whole time. black people on fire. Just, whoa, George Washington was a piece of shit. Oh. Allegedly. I don't mean that, folks. Allegedly. But you know what I'm saying? An alleged cunt. George I mean, Washington, that, allegedly piece of shit. Be incredible. I mean, if they could literally get to a position where they could do a calculation that's so complete that they could feed it into some sort of a you know, someday created virtual reality machine that will give you like... A version of that you can go back and watch the asteroid that killed the dinosaurs if, if humans can manage to not like destroy ourselves or we don't have some asteroid reset or something like that we're gonna do magical shit like that I'm sure I mean 100%. we're on we're already doing magic compared to what we could do a hundred years ago so I mean we're gonna it's the thing is you could never predict what it would be exactly like you can never stand back and you know, you can't stand back in the year like 1850 and going to be like, it'll be metal machines running on dinosaur juice. You know, like you just right. wouldn't know. But uh, we'll be doing some magical shit. Well, Sam Harris was talking about it and it was freaking me out because he was talking about the power that computers are going to have once they once artificial intelligence becomes sentient, the power that they're going to have to improve upon themselves and how quickly that's going to take place where thousands of years of progress is going to take place in a week. And you're like, wait, 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 what? And then it's just from there, each, each time they improve, it improves exponentially. Thousands more years, maybe in an hour. Thousands more years in a couple of seconds. Oof. It's just going to get to some insane place where you're saying they're l reasonably certain that one day we'll have a machine. It's like an atom machine that you could shoot out into the universe and given an amount of time extracting all the um, building materials it needs from the sky, it'll make a planet. It'll yeah. make a planet and inhabit that planet with intelligent life, and then we can go there, and it'll be like Miami in the sky. We'll go there. There'll be, I mean, literally, you could create anything. Like, we might already be living in it. We, we Maybe this is how we all got here. Well, that's one of Elon Musk's more recent talks. He talked about that, but a lot of people have been saying that for a long time. That it's it's potentially possible that one day we're going to have an artificial reality that's indece indecipherable. 
you, or, uh, or, or in, you can't tell the difference between what is fake and what is real. You will not be able to distinguish it. It, w- it will be so good that it will be just like life. So if that's the case, how do you know that you're not already in it? Right. You don't. You know, and it's, it's, all, it's all mumbo jumbo right now unless you think that it could have already happened. Then it's not mumbo jumbo. And if Harris is right, the real problem with that, and this is not even his ideas, this is all these people that are really at the forefront of all this technology, we're going to be, we're not, we're not going to be, but something is going to be a god. I mean, it literally is going to be able to create worlds. Yeah. It's potentially possible that one day they're going to have something that could create a universe. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think there's a, there's a, a, an argument that that's how we're created. I yeah. mean, we're here. Yeah. Like, we are here. We do exist. And truthfully, in the reductionist, atheist, scientific way of looking at it, there's no good reason for that. But of course there is. See, I don't buy that. Because the universe is filled with magical shit. Like, why wouldn't people be here? Like, well, look at look at supernovas. Look at black holes absorbing galaxies. Look at I mean, look at solar storms. Look at flares. Look at this fucking ball of fire that's in the sky. That's a million times bigger than us. Why is it so weird that people exist? The whole thing is well, fucking right. madness. Well, that's well, that's I guess yeah, I agree with you. I'm just saying the whole thing is magical already. Yeah. So what's the what's you know it, it, it's why more... are humans more magic? We're not yeah. any more magic than everything that's already out there. How about the Big Bang? The whole thing is based on magic. Yeah. The, the whole universe. And the idea of something being created from nothing well, ma- well, it, it makes no sense. Smaller than the head of a pin and for whatever reason instantaneously explodes to, sh- to create all the mass, both seen and unseen, that's in the galaxy, including dark matter. You get and, to a conversation with this point where we, show, we almost should just come back to just being religious. Like, yeah. let's just follow the fucking book. That's I don't what know, I'm dude. saying. Like Mormonism, where it's so dumb that it's kind of comforting. That you but, might be beating everyone. Yeah, that all these other people like join in on this dumb shit and you all agree and you call each other elders and you're only 12. There's something about just belief, though. Like, yeah. like belief might be beating skepticism. Of just, just the way, I mean, I, I know they do these things where they measure how your brain acts when those people are like speaking in tongues and stuff, and you go to some weird place and just convincing yourself to be certain yeah. of what this existence is might just put you on a whole different level. It's like, oh, it doesn't even matter what you're believing in, you're just, as long as you're believing. Right. Well, it exists in a really practical form in fighting. I know you're, you're a big MMA fan. Mm-hmm. It exists in a really practical form in fighting because, you know, when I, um, w- when I was coaching young people back uh, during the uh, Taekwondo competing days, um, I coached a lot of young people and I brought a lot of people to tournaments and stuff like that, a lot of students. And one of the things that I found was that smarter people had a harder time with competing. Like, uh, like a lot of like the really smart people that I talked to and, and then I would try to talk to them about it. And what I realized is they're more aware of the variables. Right. They're more aware of what could go wrong, and that would create anxiety, and it was very difficult to get people to just like, okay, you have to just stay on the path of what you're trying to do. You can't look off to the side of the road, the fact that this cliff goes a thousand feet down to the bottom of the canyon. You can't look at that. You've got to look on the road, just the road. And for a lot of smart people, they're like, fuck, what if I get hit? What happens if you get hit? Like, oh, well, you're fucked if you get kicked in the face. Yeah. Don't get right. kicked in the face. <laughs> Keep your hands up. You've got to move. And um, dumb people were like convinced that they were going to be fine. And I, would, I was always fascinated by that. I was like, this is weird because what's interesting is when the dumb people lost, it was way more difficult for them to rebound. Whereas the smart people lost and they go, all right, well, I saw that coming. Now I have to decide whether or not I still want to compete. Interesting. Is, is this the risk I still want to take? Now I'm aware of the consequences. I knew it was coming. So what technically went wrong and how am I physically? And you would see 
people that were intelligent rebound and they would figure out a way to overcome the challenge or try to at least. Whereas a lot of smart people or a lot of dumb people rather were devastated by losses. Because it's almost like you took away that simple belief of theirs. Now they have to, you know. This one guy, I remember he was talking about how he was such a good person. I can't believe this. You know, I, I, I follow the Lord's word. I'm a good person. Why God do this to me? I was like, oh no. Now he's questioning his very existence. Yeah, that's rough. That's a weird thing to see someone have that because there's a, there's an amazing like confidence that you have to have, uh, or, or like uh, at least you have to get yourself to that place uh, yes. to like you know compete in MMA like you said without looking at the side of the road. And when you see that broken, I mean, when I saw that uh, that Ellen interview with Ronda Rousey. Yeah, that was so crazy to me. That really made me go like maybe she shouldn't fight for a little while. Like I don't know if she, I like she needs some more time off because this she went from being the like I'm gonna kill everyone no one has a right to beat me don't be a be nothing bitch and, and mm-hmm. being that chick to being like uh, I wanted to kill myself I got to just have Travis Brown's babies and I was like whoa, whoa. she's gone from being this mm-hmm. like untouchable mm-hmm. I mean not even like she was like the best female fighter it was like don't even she's wrecking chicks in a second. Mm-hmm. And then to seeing her kind of broken. Well, what's interesting is these themes play themselves out over and over again, and the traps are all there, but everybody keeps going for the candy, and they keep getting caught in the traps. The traps of Hollywood are always there for any superstar athlete, especially fighters and you know, we've seen it all throughout history with Tommy Morrison gets in the Rocky movie and all of a sudden everybody's looking at him like Tommy Morrison's going to be the white hope. And then Ray Mercer beats the living fuck out of him. And you just saw like fear and overwhelming anxiety attack him because he's in this movie and he's on the red carpet and everybody's saying, you're going to be the champ one day, huh? He's like, oh, fuck. And then it becomes this whole thing. He's hanging with Sylvester Stallone. They're probably doing blow and banging hookers. Allegedly. Allegedly. But you know what I mean? It's like it becomes this Hollywood trap. And Rhonda was a gi- and still is a giant superstar, right? She's yeah. this undefeated women's fighter. She's crushing all the competition. She looks like a destroyer. And then the fucking traps. This all these movies start coming out. All this all these deals start getting made. Books start getting written. All these television shows and all this stuff and all the traps. Yeah. And all those traps, they keep your focus. They they steal little bits of your focus. You're like, I'm good enough to get by without all that focus. But there's no way because there's another person like you out there. There's, yeah. there's a lot of people like you out there, and they don't have those traps. And if they don't have those traps, they're going to have more attention that's being paid. Well, right away, they to have their an work. advantage. Yes, because they have they're full focused on this. 100%. And there's also something dangerous to someone like Ronda Rousey. Who, by the way, obviously, is just incredible. I mean, she's the reason why women's MMA is a huge thing. Uh, but I think there's something dangerous about being such an amazing grappler, getting a couple knockouts. And all of a sudden feeling this kind of like, oh, yeah. you know, she got the knee to uh, McMahon and mm-hmm. stopped her with one knee. And then what was the other chick who she, she hit the overhand who face planted? Alexis Davis. Yeah. yeah. And so now it's kind of going in there and even going in there with like a world class uh, boxer like uh, Holly Holm. Holm. She kind of goes in there with like, well, I can knock people out too. Yes. And I think that's a dangerous, you know, all well, of you know that is a like, dangerous combination. It's like being a blue belt and you choke out a bunch of white belts and you think you're the shit. And then all of a sudden you're rolling with Damian Maya and he wraps you up like a Christmas present and beats the fuck out of you and chokes you unconscious. Dude. Easy. You know, I mean, there's levels of everything. And to deny those levels, because anybody who looked at her fights would see like okay you have this uh, uh, Ronda Rousey this fierce competitor was one of the best judo 
um, examples of judo we've ever seen in MMA. I mean, her judo is spectacular. The reason why she was a medalist in the Olympics. I mean, she's a sensational competitor. Her grappling's outstanding. Her armbar technique is amongst the best in the world. But she's knocking out these girls. They're, there's no, they're nowhere near world class as far as like kickboxing and striking is concerned. Right. Holly Holm is 100% world class. She is an 18-time world boxing champion. I mean, she's a kickboxing champion. She was in, uh, an MMA competitor for a couple of years before she got into the UFC, where she was having these ridiculous head kick KOs. Yeah. She's a beast. And for her to think that she's going to treat this woman, this Holly Holm woman, the same way she was able to bully like Betch Cohea, and I say bully not in a negative way, I mean just, just attack her and go right. after her. Betch Cohea was she's slow and awkward and not that athletic. Holly Holm bounces around that cage like a fucking kangaroo. Yeah. And she does all these backflips and shit. She's spectacularly athletic. And the idea that you're going to have the same approach that you used on Betch Cohea with someone like Holly Holm, that's just madness. And that's something that happens when people get so absorbed with this idea that they're special. So absorbed with this idea that, you know, when you're on top, you think you are the fucking person. You're the woman. You're the man. You're the shit. No one's going to fuck with you. I'm just running through this bitch. Yeah. And then you get cracked. And then you realize, oh, this game doesn't give a fuck. This game doesn't give a fuck about your charisma. It doesn't give a fuck about the Vegas odds. It doesn't give a fuck about how much money you made or how many times you've been on Entourage or that's how many the amazing, movie deals. It's, it's an amazing thing about MMA. It's why I have so much respect for everybody who competes, but it's like no one can escape this game's wrath. No. I mean, j like, John Jones still has a lot of his career to go, and he does. He has one loss on his record, but it, it was it's a not dominant yeah. you know, win. Uh but, you know, you see these guys, like, you see Anderson Silva, and he's just, like, he's a ninja. He's untouchable. He's the greatest fighter ever. And then you see him, like, crying on the ground with a shattered, not shattered, but whatever, when he broke yeah. his, uh, his his shin. Well, how about when and, he cried on the ground after he won against Nick Diaz? Against, yeah. He fell to the ground. He's my he was favorite crying. fighter ever, by the way, Nick Diaz. I just, it's pretty awesome. I mean, the Diaz brothers are just the greatest <laughs> fighters <laughs> they, of all time. They certainly are. Uh, um yeah, but, but yeah, like, well, like, from going full circle then when he comes back and wins in the octagon. But yeah. I mean, it's 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 an incredible thing. It makes you look. I mean, when watching Chuck Liddell, who I just you know at a certain point you were like that guy's just unbeatable. He's like Superman. And then to see him get knocked out and kind of his chin, you know, slowly see, start to go. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's like this this game. This game doesn't give a fuck. Oof. Doesn't give a fuck about your opinions. Doesn't give a fuck about what you think. When knuckles hit chins, legs go limp. And that's yeah. just how it goes. And we saw that in the Rockhold Bisping fight. You know, Rockhold had this look about him that almost like he was bored. That he was just like, I'm going to go. I mean, but part of that, I'm sure, is gamesmanship. He's trying to get inside Bisping's head that he's so much better than him that he doesn't have, even have to like be serious and be concerned. Yeah. And then Bisping clips him with his left hook over the shoulder where he's barely seeing it. And it you, you called it. It was a, a great example. Well, you said like a few beats before that where you're like, Ruckle's keeping his chin right up in the air and he's kind of like a little lackadaisical. Yeah. I remember you uh, in the, um, the Henan Barrow Dillashaw fight. The first one, which is like a huge upset. No one saw that coming. Uh, and I remember you you saying, as it was, you're like, man, Dillashaw's really light on his feet. Dillashaw's really relaxed. Like, sometimes you could just see a little thing in the way they're moving. Mm -hmm. They're like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I was telling you before uh, we started recording, my, my buddy, hilarious comedian, one of my best friends, Louis J. Gomez, he does a radio show with Michael Bisbang. Right. And uh, you had, you've had a Big J Yes, on the show Okerson. before. So the three of us do a podcast called right. Legion of Skanks. Right. You you gotta have Lewis on. You'll fucking I would love, love to. Him. He's like I a, love Jay. 
Yeah, Jay's uh, got a special coming out, which is going to be just uh, incredible. What's it on? Uh, Comedy Central Hour. Oh, cool. Uh, coming out on, uh, I believe, I want to say June 17th. Yeah. But I might, it's, nice. it's like one of those days. It's called uh, um, Live at Webster Hall. It's going to be a fucking incredible special. Look for that. Jay's Beautiful. like one of the funniest comedians on the planet. Very funny, dude. And uh, Louis J. Gomez is just one of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. He's a great comedian. He's like bigger than a stand-up comedian. He's like the Burt Kreischer of the East Coast. He's just a hilarious person. Uh, but so he's doing a show with, with Michael Bisbing. They do a show called The Countdown on Sirius Radio. And he started doing the show. I mean, this before Bisbing has the Anderson Silva fight. And it did almost seem kind of like Bisbing was this, a great fighter, a big name, but seemed like he was kind of, you know, going toward the end of his career. Like he had a couple injuries, had the eye thing. And you're kind of like, oh, he was a, he was a contender. Well, explain the eye thing, because the eye thing's pretty bad. The eye well, you thing, probably know better than well, me. He has but... a detached retina and his oil in his eye. They had to inject oil into where his eye sits so that his retina won't tear again. So he has one eye that looks almost like cross-eyed and it's kind of black, like his, like he's on ecstasy, like one pupil's dilated. It's very weird. And he doesn't give a fuck. He's got that one eye fucked up and he doesn't give a shit. He's still going in there and slinging. That and then, guy's born for this. This, this motherfucker went out and fought Anderson Silva and in one of the gutsiest performances I've ever seen. And my, I mean, he the the first two rounds that he beat Anderson were just incredible. And then the fact that he got almost put out in the yeah. third round and came back and won the fourth round. And it was a fucked up Oof. thing because he was trying to say that his mouthpiece was out. And he tried to circle to, I don't know who the referee was. I think Herb it was Dean. Herb. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, I, and, but Herb's like, look, it doesn't matter. Like, you gotta, I'm not stopping. You don't, you can't call when to stop the action. Cause you could say that the mouthpiece is out. Oh, you could just spit your mouthpiece out whenever someone's, exactly. you know, like landing a big shot and, and then go, do time, that. time yeah. out. And people do do that. But, you know, Herb was like, look, you can't say to me that your mouthpiece is out. I know your mouthpiece is out, but you got to keep fighting. And then, boom, Anderson lands a flying knee on the jaw. And then Anderson walks away with his hands up. Oh, it was so crazy. Like as if he won. So crazy. But Herb didn't call the fight yet. So then the bell rings. So then Bisping has to get up and recover in a minute from getting KO'd. It was madness. He got a little bit of extra time because Anderson Silva celebrated yes so i think he got like an extra 30 seconds or so yeah, yeah. but i mean but then right so and and by the way to that's got to fuck anderson up too because anderson's now got this like adrenaline dump and yeah. then he's and then you saw in his face he's like what no we're yeah. back to fighting and yeah but bisbing man that fourth round he just bit down on his mouthpiece and walked him down and yeah. fuck, i mean it was incredible crazy and then after that being the greatest ever to come and and you get on a on an injury Right. You get a, a title shot, what, 10 days notice? Yeah, he like fights that. the greatest ever. I mean, arguably, Anderson's on the downslide, but definitely. Let's not say arguably. I mean, lo losing twice to Weidman, he just didn't look the same when he fought Nick Diaz, it, it, suspended for steroids, comes back, and, and you know. But he's still Anderson Silva. So yeah. that victory. He gets that victory over the greatest of all time. And then first round knockout over Luke Rockhold. You know what's fucked up? I was I was literally considering saying that Luke Rockhold looks overconfident and when you're overconfident you can get knocked out. And I'm like, I don't want to be a dick. <laughs> and then boom, he gets knocked out. I was like, <laughs> But you did make the comment about him holding, uh, about him not like having his head right there on the center line or something. He was super relaxed. I mean, he was super relaxed with his chin straight up. He was pulling out of things with his chin straight up. It's almost like there was no danger. Yeah. And that was one of the things that he was saying that, you know, he was in no danger. And it was also one of the same things that Uriah Faber was saying. Like the difference between me and Cruz is I can hurt him. I can take him out. And then when you see Uriah got caught. I think it was the second round, he got mm -hmm. dropped, and you realize he's in deep trouble. Like, you realize, holy shit, like, yeah. I can get knocked out, too. 
Yeah. And all those guys, and you know, it's it's a it's funny when you get it. Like like Michael Bisping was a guy who the knock on him, I guess, was that he didn't have knockout power or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about like a a 200. I mean, fighting at 205, a guy yeah. who cuts down probably. I'm sorry, 185. So probably someone someone who weighs close to 200 yeah. pounds. It's a 200 pound guy who specializes in in striking. Yeah, I mean, he can fucking knock you out. Of course he can. And he uh, proved it. Well, he doesn't he doesn't fight like a like a brawler like he fights like a technician yeah. and when you fight like a technician you don't swing wild crazy ass punches with everything on them with your you know Vanderlei Silva style you know you try to find openings and that's right. what he did he found the opening with that left hook it was really sneaky he had missed it before he was like stepping in and throwing the left hook over the shoulder and kind of like stepping into the punch and boy, when he caught Luke, he caught him at the end of the chin, which really like fucking spins your head. All the torque was perfectly placed. And then, and then he, he caught him with another brilliant one yeah, right afterwards. He followed up. Yeah, man. Dude. And you know, he's had like all sorts of fucking crazy injuries. Back injuries, neck injuries, his fucking arms. Bing. Yeah. He- he's just tough, man. He just keeps going. He just keeps going. She had no question about that. That dude's as tough as they come, man. Yeah, I don't know if I'm he happy fixed for him. It. Just because he's one of those guys who's like been around forever and always kind of been knocking at the door. Yeah. So it's nice to see him, you know, get his moment. Well, it's crazy to see. Well, you see, like, there's knockout power, right? And then there's like Dan Henderson kind of knockout power. That is just like, Jesus fucking Christ. Dan Henderson. Like, Dan Henderson feels like this table when you put your arm on him. <laughs> he's not flexing. He's like the like Ryan Parsons, who's a buddy of mine, who was his manager for a long time, said that he would do massage on him and he would be exhausted. He's like he's wood. <laughs> the guy's made out of wood. So like when you look at him, you look at him, you go, well, it looks like a you know strong, athletic guy. But if you felt him, you realize where all this power comes from. He's like he's built different. There's something going on with him. And he does. When you were saying people who don't put everything into one punch, oh, I mean, he puts everything into everything. his punches. Like, I mean, it's like coming at you. And it's so weird the way he moves, too. He moves in a weird way because he's very stiff. He's not fluid like John Jones or like Anderson. No. He's very fluid in his movements. Dan is like very stiff. But when he uncorks those bombs on you, they just detonate. And you're just like, what the fuck hit me? Like, Hector Lombard's never been knocked out. To see Hector Lombard get knocked out by, well, he got head kicked. He's probably stunned by that head kick. And then he got blasted with that back elbow. And he was out cold. Yeah. He was out cold when he hit the ground. Mm -hmm. And then Henderson blasts him again. But, like, whoa. I I saw that. I was like, who the fuck hits like this guy? It's like it's almost like you want him to hit you just so you could feel it. <laughs> just, go, just okay, how much bit. harder is that than normal? Like, what, what the fuck are you doing? I want to start by like standing next to a guy who he hits. Like, hit him <sighs> real close to me. I want to feel it. His KO of Bisping at UFC 100 was one of the most brutal one punch shots in the history of combat sports. It was just boom. Bisping's dead stiff, and then Henderson's airborne long before the referee can get to him, and just slams him in the face on the way down. And then from there out, one of his logos was the silhouette of him flying through the air, knocking out Bisping. So imagine being Bisping. Not only do you have to deal with the fact this guy fucking knocked you out in spectacular fashion, but his logo is him <laughs> flying through the air, hitting you after you're already unconscious. I would, I would just say... Hang on, in a few years you'll be champ, and <laughs> a you'll few. have a show with Luis J. Gomez, a and wh- everything will be good. What year was UFC what year 200? It's a while, man. That was Brock Lesnar. I want to say. 100, you're saying. Yeah, 100, 100. Yeah, 100 was like, was it 2012? No, earlier than that, probably. What year was that, Jamie? 
I just pulled some up. It wasn't it, UFC one fourteen popped up. It wasn't definitely no. wasn't that right. It was UFC one hundred. Yeah. Uh, let me see. It was the biggest pay per view of all time. It was Brock Lesnar's rematch with Frank Mir. And GSP fought uh, yep. Tiago Alves. July 11th, 2009. 2009? Wow, it was that long ago. Whoa. That's nuts. Yeah, wow. that is fucking weird. It's been a long, fucking longer than I would have thought. Yeah, definitely. I guess it is like 100 UFCs later. Yeah. Wow. So seven years later, he wins the title. Crazy. Yeah, look, there's going to be some Hennis ups and downs. On the same, the same card. On the him. same card. Right, you get, look, there's going to be some ups and downs. Your retina is going to get all types of fucked up, but you will be champion one day. And no one takes that away from him ever. Could you imagine if him and Henderson had a rematch for the title? Good Lord. Can that be made? I wonder if that could be made ethically. Because if you look at all the other contenders, all the people waiting in line, Chris Wyman, oh, yeah, Luke no, Rockhold, Jacques Array, Vitor. No, there's just too many. Yeah, there's too many, but ooh, boy. It's hard. It's a hard sell because Vitor just knocked out Henderson in the first round. You know, it's Hender yeah, it's just man, Vitor knocked out Bisping in Brazil and he knocked out Rockhold. Mhm. Mm yeah, he so knocked Vitor, out. but he just got destroyed. But he just got smashed by Jacques Array. Everything the middleweight division is just completely up in the air now. Yeah. It's all it's all turned upside down. It's so weird in MMA what happened. Like you're kinda like, Oh, okay, I think I know where everything stands. Yeah. And then one thing changes and you're like, Well, I don't know anything, I guess. You never know anything because you're only looking at the guys that are in the UFC right now, and there's a whole fucking series of murderers that are out there that are just getting ready to enter. And there's young kids that are like 20 that are just coming into their own, and in four years, they might be the best fighter in the world. Yeah. There's so many of those. It's like the Cody Garbrandts that are emerging. You know, They emerge, and then with one fight against Almeida, you go, oh, Jesus, that this just... kid is a fucking killer in the 135-pound division and one of the top contenders now, instantly, yeah. with one standout performance, you know? And there's just gonna, there'll be more divisions. Like you were kind of talking about that when we were at the store the other night. Like you want to see more divisions yeah. in, in MMA. There'll be more divisions, more fighters, I think, right? I, I hope mean. so. I hope so. But there hasn't been enough progress in that. I really think that this should be a, a weight class every 10 pounds. I really do. I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of opportunities for not just more champions, which I think is better for the sport, but guys to be able to fight in their actual weight class and be competitive. There's some gaps like 85 to 205. Man, there's a, that's a big gap. That is a giant gap, a 20-pound gap. And, you know, most guys, they're probably going to be in the middle. So if you had an 85, a 95, and a 205, that's where it should be. Right. You know, that's, I think that's, that's how boxing does. And, and also, I think it gives you much more opportunity for um, guys to fight champion versus champion, you know, and to move up or move down, like, fairly easily. Like, I think an 85 could move down to 75. Way easier than an 85 could go up to 205. Sure. You know, and they could go back and forth. And you could have some like really awesome uh, title unification bouts or, you know, champion versus champion bouts. Right. Yeah, no, I, th I agree with that. And I like, I mean, I like seeing the people, I like seeing the weight yeah. class. I love Connor moving up to fight Nate. I mean, although I guess you don't need more weight classes. You went up to 170. Yeah, that wasn't even a move up. That was just yeah. like, well, let's not cut. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was a move up now, for him, why is, and, and tell me, am I crazy about this? But why. I've wondered this a lot, and I've never really gotten a good answer on it, but why do we have the weight cuts? Like, why don't we just question. weigh in an hour before the event? You know, you want to dehydrate yourself before weight. that? Fine, but... Because it's dangerous. Guys are still going to cut weight. That's how guys die. Guys die from being dehydrated and getting hit in the head. I mean, you can definitely die from just getting hit in the head. But, but isn't it... Wouldn't it... And I, maybe this is just stupid, but wouldn't it regulate itself? Because it's like, if, if the, if the weigh-in's an hour before the fights, mm -hmm. and you're going to 
dehydrate yourself, you're, you're going to get fucked, fucked up. up in the fight. Like, you're not going to have time to mm -hmm. replenish yourself. But wh why do this whole thing where we're weighing in and out uh, 24 hours before, guys are dehydrating themselves, then refuel? Why not just fight the way Connor Nate fought? It's a very good and, point. And be hydrated. It's a very good point. Um, another point could be to outlaw weight cutting entirely and to check people all throughout camp and to uh, make matchups based on size. Like, look at look at two guys, you know, you say, what do you walk around at? What do you walk around at? Okay, you guys will be fighting at that weight, you know, or whatever the weight is when you're in best shape. You know, if you get down to 175 when you're in your best shape, you, you tell us what that number is. Tell us what that number is. We'll match you up accordingly. And we're going to test people's hydration levels all throughout camp. We're going to show up just like USADA does and test you for drugs. We're going to make you get on a scale. I'm going to test your hydration levels. And when you're at a, a, a reasonably hydrated level where it's healthy, that's your weight. That's what you weigh now. So if you want to lose weight, you better lose weight by – you better do some extra running and you better uh, drop some body fat, but you're not going to be dehydrated. Yeah, I mean, seeing as how we can we can figure all that stuff out, it just seems like there would be an easier answer. Now, of course, obviously, there, there's the commissions in the way, which I don't – I don't believe in any government regulation, so I don't think they well, should the be there. Well, the California Commission's done a fantastic job. California no, no. Commission, Commission's no joke. This guy, Andy Foster, who runs it, I think he runs a, a, a great organization. And what he did was the opposite approach. He let them weigh in from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. He gave them an open window. He said, look, we're going to be open. Just come down and wait. We don't, what, this is what he didn't want. He doesn't want guys dehydrated, standing around, weakening themselves for that one moment where they have to stand on, on the scale in front of a camera. He's like, this is all an artificially orchestrated event. He's like, how about this? We'll have them. They'll come in. We'll have uh, athletic commission officers ready on standby all morning for these guys to weigh in. They come in. They weigh in. Then once we record it, make sure they're cool, they can rehydrate. And they have many, many more hours to rehydrate. So guys were rehydrating six hours earlier. Most of the guys showed up at 10 a.m. They made weight. Okay. And then they had way more time. So when you saw people stand on the scale... I was saying official weight when I was announcing it. They had weighed in at 10 o'clock in the morning. So it was already 4 in the afternoon. These guys were f hydrated and thick. No one looked sick. So at least visually, no one looked like, like Conor McGregor looked when he fought Chad Mendez. When they weighed in, he looked like a so dead man. a different man. person. He looked like a dead man. His cheeks were all sucked in. It looks horrible. I mean, look, he did good in the fight. Yeah. But uh, he really did. He cuts a lot to get to 145. He's a big boy. Yeah, yeah he's a big boy. He's way bigger than um, like Jose Aldo, and Jose Aldo was cutting a lot at one point in his career. I, by the way, I've never, uh, and I'm a hardcore fan. I've never enjoyed a fight more than I enjoyed Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor. I've never fight. lost my mind so much at the end of the fight. I mean, I'm like a huge Diaz fan, yeah, and that was just incredible. I mean, on ten days' notice. Yep. Well, that whole um, two card or that two fight um, event, the uh, two fights, uh, the final fights, the Holly Holm Misha Tate was one of the most exciting endings to any fight ever. When Misha took Holly down in the fifth round, a fight where she was losing, it took her back and choked her. That's insane. Yeah, I read an article today where someone was saying that it was that Misha had lost virtually every second. It was from a guy I respect, a writer. And no, I was, she won the second. I was round. like, "What are you talking about?" The second round, she took her down and pounded her. I like, think they, you, didn't they give her a ten eight? Yes. The yeah. gave and they should. She dominated. So I read this article. This is ESPN writer wrote it, and I was like, "Wait a minute, man! Come on, you can't say that. Like, why are you saying that? Like, that's that's silly hyperbole. Right? Like, it doesn't even make any sense." Um, and Misha was threatening in the third and fourth. After that, Holly was on her bike. She was like, "Fuck this!" Yeah, like she was fighting perfect and super cautious with no chances and barely winning those rounds. You know, just winning them, but barely winning. It wasn't nothing. Nothing big happened, and definitely no threat. So that victory when Misha Tate choked out Holly and Holly's punching in the air, like oh. how fucking dramatic is that? Going out cold, punching in the air while she's going out, 
and then Nate beating up Connor in that second round after he gets fucked up in the first round, beating him up in the second round, and, and then choking him. Yeah, insane. Probably two two of the most exciting finishes to any fight ever. And the and the Connor thing was just insane because he was on a tear that was yeah. like you know one of the biggest tears in MMA history. And uh, to watch it go down like that, especially like you said, like he was winning the fight mm-hmm. and then Nate turns it around. Yeah. And it was almost like on the drop of a, a dime, like Nate, Nate like came to life in that second round and starts talking shit. Yeah. It starts really finding a home for the jab. Yeah. And then he hit him with that big one, too. And it was yeah. like, oh. Well, Nate has a snake-like one, too, too. He like, whap, whap. And then he like slithers around. You can't find him with a counter. He's really good, and man. there's no one worse than uh, Nate or Nick Diaz to get hurt by in a fight. Because right. once they hurt you, they just like they push a pace, and then when you get hurt, they like pick it up mm-hmm. and pick it up, and then all of a sudden, I mean, before you know it, Connor's hit like 25 fucking times on the yeah. feet, and he's shooting for a takedown. Well, those guys are always doing triathlons. So even though Nate is like he, he was taking that fight in 11 days' notice and he wasn't in shape, he's still in way better shape than most people. So like him going five rounds is not unfeasible. It's not. Yeah. It's not outside of the realm of imagination. He's in shape. He's That's, just not yeah, in yeah. the kind of shape that he's gonna be when they have a rematch, and that becomes a real fucking problem. Dude, I think he's gonna beat him up again. Well, what Nate said, he goes, he goes, I, if I had a camp, he wouldn't have fucking touched me. He goes, my plan was to go out slow in the first round. And he came out fast in the the first round. So I got tagged a couple times, but that's so cool. That's cool. Stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. And then the second round, it starts loosening up and opening up, and Connor was just dead. Yeah, well, I heard, I mean, people were talking to Nate about, uh, because, you know, going into that fight, like, Connor's power was Mm -hmm. what a lot of people were talking about. Like, you know, he put one punch on Jose Aldo's chin, and he's out. And, you know, he's talking, he's like, they can't handle my power. I don't do voice as well, but uh, he's, but, uh, and Nate was saying in one of the post-fight interviews where he was like, look, I'm sparring with Andre Ward and Joe Schilling and, like, heavyweight boxers. I'm doing rounds with heavyweight boxers. There's nothing you're going to hit him with that he hasn't seen Right. Or kind of dealt with when he's. I mean, you're not like talking like Andre Ward and, and Joe Schilling, like yes. decent strikers. You're saying literally the best. The best. Yeah. The best in boxing and the best in yeah. kickboxing. Well, Joe Schilling cuts weight to kickbox at 185 pounds and knocks dudes dead. Yeah. Dead with one punch. So that guy is sparring with Nate on a regular basis. Andre Ward, who is one of the best fucking boxers on the planet Earth, yeah. one of the slickest, said that Nate gives as good as he gets when they spar. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. And I think Joe Schilling, I might be getting, but I think Joe Schilling said he's never hurt either one of them in a sparring session. I think he said that on, uh, wow. on Fighter and the Kid. Yeah, I believe it, man. Tough fucking dudes, man. Tough fucking dudes. But what, what's fascinating to me is that he wanted to jump right back in there and do it again. And that Nate wanted to, or that um, Connor wanted to just run it back. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. It seems weird that he gets to do that. Not so well, much that he wants to, but it just seems weird that they were like, uh, like even when Dana White was talking about it, and he was like, look, man, we tried to convince him to go down to 145, and he was like, Nate's the old. I was like, wait, he's the matchmaker now? He just gets to go. But no. wouldn't you but let look, him if, you're wa- if you want to make a ton of money, right? Look, man, I believe in the market. Yes. And that guy's that guy what people <laughs> want to see. He can, do what he, he can do whatever he wants to do. But and it's Nate's going to get a big that. payday off it. But it's not just that. The emperor's been stripped down, okay? So now he's exposed. So now someone's beaten him. So here's the thing. What do you do now? You want to make money? Okay, because if you want to make money, you make the biggest fight you can right now while he's been exposed. And the biggest fight for sure is, and when I say exposed, I don't mean he's not talented. I mean exposed meaning he's a human and he can lose. And that happens with every fighter. They lose, and once they lose, people go, oh, you can be beat. 
You know, we saw it with Anderson Silva. Mm -hmm. You saw it with Mike Tyson. When after Mike Tyson fought Buster Douglas, it was a different world. Everybody was like, "Oh, he's human." So I say exposed, not in a disrespectful way, but got exposed. He lost. He got choked out. He got beaten up on the ground, and then he got choked out quick. So this is not an invulnerable, perfect fighter who's unbelievably durable, right. who, who can take punishment like no man. There's a lot of those guys in the UFC. There's champions like that in the UFC, that are like Robbie Lawler, unbelievably durable. You can't put him away. It's fucking hard to put that guy away. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a guy who got dinged up, shot for a shitty wide-open takedown, got taken down, got demolished on the ground, and got choked unconscious quickly yeah. afterwards. So, all right, what do you do? Could that happen with Dos Anjos? Fuck yeah, it could. Dos Anjos could do that too. It's possible. I mean, Connor might knock him out. You never know. Connor does have that punch. But you got to put him in against Nate again because that's the big money rematch. And if, if this guy turns out to be a guy who's going to win some and lose some, and the beginning of his career, this unbeatable, wild Celtic warrior character, right? Uh, that's all gone. But he's a champ. He's still got a belt at 145. Mm, yeah. So now. it's almost kind of a... Right. A uh, weird position for now, but I mean here's my question this, when I say for now how, can he really keep making that weight? That's what I'm saying Well, I, I've wondered about that too I've had some people have argued with me saying like no he can make the weight because he was he was what was he 169 against Nate yeah. So they're saying he basically that's what he starts at and he can just yeah, cut down from there That's a lot, a lot. but look what he looked like at the at the weigh-in yeah. so maybe he can I mean he kind of he definitely can do it It's, it's physically possible. I was so looking forward to the press conference, though, just because I can't, you know, you, you've got this guy in Connor who's like the ultimate shit talker, and then you've got Nate who, I mean, the first, the dynamic at the first press conference was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And at that moment when he was just like kind of talking circles around Nate, and mm -hmm. Nate just broke, and he goes, "How about this? Fuck you, fuck your belt, fuck this press conference." Like Nate just went yeah. gangster on him. Yeah, but now. Like, how can Connor? I was so interested. Right. Like, how can he show up and talk shit like that yeah. when, when Nate's got the perfect rebuttal to anything he has to say? Well, I Connor's beat you on 10 days. Connor's been saying all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, the first eight minutes were easy. Yeah, what? Mm. Yeah, but here's the difference between the first okay, eight minutes matter. and the last three minutes. Yeah. The last three were a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, they were awful. Like, you got <laughs> fucked up, man. You got to just accept that. But that's part of his thing is that he has to, like, Look at things in the most positive light possible and man, I don't know um, I think stylistically it's a troublesome fight for him because Nate is a very clever boxer and his ground game is a world away from where Connor is right now and I've seen Nate roll with guys. He's a fucking legit very high-level Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt yeah. under a very respected camp. His cardio is outstanding. His boxing's nasty. So where's Connor shining? The only way I, I think I mean I guess there's you know it's it's really hard to like fight a Diaz brother and beat them. You know, usually when people beat them, it's kind of like they they really stick to a strategy. Mm -hmm. You got to kind of take them down and and avoid submissions or like leg kick and circle. Like Dos bunch. Anjos beat him up in that way. But yeah, you know what? There's kinda, also different. He didn't show up. Well, there's also you know different camps. You know, you're coming in. Who knows what kind of fucking injuries you're dealing with? You know, you you see a guy like Nate come in and look really kind of lackadaisical against. Rafael um, Dos Anjos, then you see him come back and look shredded against Michael Johnson and look sensational. So you go, okay, that's what he's capable of when he's on and focused. You got to be ready for that guy. And I think you, that, yeah, that's the best he's ever looked yeah, was that Michael Johnson fight. Yeah, you can't think that the guy who lost Dos Anjos is showing up. You got to think that the guy that came out and swarmed Cowboy in the first round is coming. Like that, that guy's a clever fucking boxer. Yeah. So where does Connor shine? Knockout power. That's where he shines. Like Connor can dead dudes. 
He yeah, can, but, but he D, couldn't but do Diaz, it. Yeah, they're tough to hit. They have great head movement and mm-hmm. great chins, and they 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 roll with punches. Well, the only guy to ever stop Nate was um, Josh Thompson, and Josh did it with a brutal head kick. And Josh Thompson, to this day, I say is one of the most underrated guys. He just he, it, the stars did not align for him, but he could have easily been a UFC champion. He was champ in uh, Strike Force, right? yeah. And with Gilbert and him and Gilbert went back and forth. You know, Josh Thompson's world class fighter. So when Josh Thompson head kicked him, you know, it's like Josh could do that to anybody in that division. If yeah. he catches you, you know, you're fucked. He's, he's older now, and he's just. You know, I think he's a guy that, like, like I said, the stars didn't like perfectly align for him. But like skill wise and technique wise, he's a fucking world class fighter. So when he knocked out Nate Diaz, it's not necessarily an indication that Nate Diaz is done. Because just, you know, that's how good Josh Thompson is. Yeah. And at the time. And and then so Nate rebounds from that. And I think people, you look at like the losses, like the Dos Anjos fight, and you look at that, the Josh Thompson fight, and you go, hmm, how good is he? You know, I could beat that guy. But then you look at the Michael Johnson fight and you go, ooh, that, that guy's fucking dangerous. Uh, Jim Miller, Cerrone. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I mean, a lot of these fights where yeah. he was just unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, and I think... Uh, it's one of those things where styles make fights and you know Connor really got in people's heads by talking shit and I felt like going in I was like I don't think you're gonna get in Nate's head by no. talking shit. He's not that guy. Yeah, how about this my crew will fuck up your whole crew I love, uh, That's the that? most gangster thing you could say <laughs> by the way That's the most gangster thing because he's literally just going we'll fucking jump you dude Like yeah. we're not like we're not playing around here Yeah, and all those guys even the guys who seem like kind of nice guys in his team like Jake Shields You feel like he'll fucking jump you like he's those a, guys are yeah, those, he's a don't vegetarian and he'll kick your ass <laughs> What? Got some breaking news that's hit since what? we've been going live. The first one is this. UFC lifts ban on reporter Ariel Helwani. Huh. The second oh, one is interesting. a little less exciting. Wait a minute. Hold on. Go back Sorry. to that. It says reported that wrestler Brock Lesnar is in talks to return to UFC 200, preempting a UFC announcement. Officials issued a life ban against him. The organization reversed the decision Monday. Hmm. That's kind of cool because that means that like public support made them lift that, but it also must mean that they worked out whatever the fuck it was. See, this is what they were saying, and this is this is what I'm hearing. Okay, let me just I don't I haven't talked to Ariel, but let me just give you the UFC perspective. The UFC perspective was that there was a mole. They believe that someone was giving Ariel information, and that information he was using to scoop the UFC's official. Promotions. So the UFC, which is a private company, you know, they don't have to have, you don't have to let people in to your your business, your private company, sure. to come and report. And so they felt like he was somehow or another getting a hold of this inside information, releasing it, and making them look bad. Now, I get the UFC's perspective that they would want to know who the fuck is leaking this secret information, and that they don't they don't want this guy taking that information and then putting it live. Now. From what I understand, the conversation with him was, don't do this, because if you do this, there's only a handful of people that know this information. So, we're going to fire everybody, or we're going to fire a bunch of people, and you're going to ruin people's lives. This is what I was told was a conversation they had with him. After that conversation, he leaked the Brock Lesnar stuff. So, that... I don't know if that's true. I would have to talk to Ariel. You'd have to get his opinion. You'd have to get the UFC's opinion. You'd have to get the two of them together to debate whether or not which story was true. But this is the side that you're not hearing. So all you're hearing is the UFC banned him for life. 
and everybody was upset. So I like Ariel. I think Ariel's a very good reporter. I think he's a very bright guy. I'm good friends with his uncle, Gadsad, who's a full disclosure, awesome, uh, just a brilliant, brilliant uh, professor in uh, Montreal. I, I love that guy. So I like Ariel. And I, uh, the whole thing was bumming me out. I was looking at my Twitter feed. I was like, oh, fucking. But you, th th there's cer certain things like this. You got to kind of let the dust settle. So the dust settled. They lifted the ban. I'm very happy with that. But you got to be careful when it comes to. See, here's the thing about this leaking information. People say, he's just doing his job reporting. I get that. I understand that. But you have to realize, this isn't like news that is not going to get out, that's going to affect people's health It's like we're trying safety. to make an announcement this in an is, hour. Yeah, this is a private company that is spending millions of dollars to promote these events. So all you're doing is just like getting it on you. Can you're can you're taking... Yeah, yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Where is it? So, it's uh, right out that door and to the right-hand side. All you're doing, if you're if you're scooping it, is you're shining the attention on yourself. What I like Ariel for is not him shining the attention on himself. What I like Ariel for is I think he's a very bright guy, and I think he's very insightful when it comes to fights and strategies and things along those lines. So I don't think it's important that he break the news before the UFC does. And I think if the UFC doesn't want him to do that because this is private information in a private company and they're trying to control the press release... I don't buy that that's necessarily like under the guise of journalism. I think it's like there's some there's some fuckery with that because we're not talking about like oh he f he found out about uh some horrible thing that happened that someone's covering up or he found out about a corruption in government or he found out about a, a person got shot by the police. This isn't this is not like that kind of news. This is they're going to release it. It's going to you're just trying to do it before they do it. And you're finding it, if it's true, that there's a mole. You're finding it out through some sort of a sneaky method that these people all sign non-disclosure agreements and they're all not supposed to release that information because the UFC wanted to make that big, cool announcement. Now, when that big, cool announcement happened at UFC 199, I was working all day. I was doing commentary all day, so I didn't go online and I wasn't reading any of the MMA sites, so I didn't know that Ariel had already scooped it. So when I saw that promo and I saw Brock Lesnar, can you see me now? I was like, what does that mean? Was this real? Like what? Like that was a real reaction by me. I had no fucking idea whatsoever that Brock Lesnar was going to be at UFC 200. No, I didn't either. No one around yeah. me knew what was happening. We didn't see the promo. Right. We couldn't and hear it. That's what the UFC wanted. They wanted that. And they felt like him releasing that early ruined that for the people that read his article. And I see their point of view. I see their perspective, and I also see their perspective as a private company. Now, people are saying that he's just doing his job and it's just journalism. Folks, this, this is not hidden information. This is not stuff that wasn't going to come out for sure in a couple hours. He knew it was. Everybody knew it was. So this is a very tricky thing. And it's also he had apparently scooped Nate Diaz versus Conor McGregor. He had done that, and that was when... This is, again, what I'm hearing when they had a, a talk with them. They're like, look, if you fucking do this, you're going to ruin people's lives because you're going to get people fired. Because we're going to find out who the fuck did this. There's only a, a small handful of people. It's not coming from Brock's side. It's coming somehow or another from inside the organization. So yeah, I, I don't I got know. No I got no problem with the UFC doing it. Because, I mean, if, if everything we're saying, you know, because I, mean, I don't yes. know all the information. But, look, it's your company. It's your information. Yes. You have a right to tell your employees, don't give this out. And if right. there's evidence that one of them is... Be like, I'm going to fire that guy. Yeah, and this is this is the most important part of it, folks. This is not a free speech thing. It's not a freedom of the press thing. Because we're not saying 
that he somehow or another scooped some inside information that we'd have never gotten out. This is not some secret stuff. Well, so he has the right to say it. Yes. No, he shouldn't be thrown in jail. No right. one's, you know, exactly. I'm, I'm, I, I right. don't advocate for anyone being thrown That's in jail. That's not what I'm saying, but, though. What I'm saying is it's not like he, unve- he, he uncovered some inside shit like Watergate. This was something that they were going to release. They had a plan, and he got word of that. And jumped the gun right. and put it out there. And he yeah. said he had multiple sources and all this different jazz. But look, it doesn't help anybody to release it early except Ariel. So you're saying it's not like he found out about some scandal going on exactly. that he was showing to the public. Exactly. It's literally like, we want to drop this in an exactly. hour. And by the way, I didn't read uh, his thing, and I loved finding that news out live at the event. Yeah. It was amazing. Well, and I, look, I don't give a fuck, okay? I, don't, I mean, I think it's kind of cool that they had that, but... It doesn't bother me at all that the information got out a few hours earlier. Would I have had the same reaction? No. But if I saw it in written word, I would still have a very similar reaction. Like, what the fuck? I wouldn't have had the same reaction when I saw the promo, but come on, man. I'm not into cheesy promos anyway. I don't give a fuck. I want to see matchups. I don't give a shit. Give everybody the information the moment it happens. I don't give a fuck. I don't like announcements. All of that, I don't... But that said, I completely understand the UFC's opinion or the UFC's position, where they have this company, and you know people go, oh, you're a company man, you're fucking sticking up for the company. No, just think of that this for a second. You have a promotional uh, campaign that you've created. You've spent more than a million dollars promoting this UFC 200 prom- commercial. They have this whole thing, and then they tag Brock Lesnar in the end, and they think, oh my God, this is the fucking cherry on top of the Sunday. This is going to be it. And then someone jumps the gun, and you find out that it's someone inside your company, allegedly, that's leaking information to this reporter, and he's getting this information out, and all he's doing is essentially scooping it and putting the onus, I mean, putting the light on himself. No, I think you have every right to want to fire yeah. that person. Yeah. And also every right to, to ban Ariel. And I love Ariel. I think he's a great reporter. I like, you know, like watching his stuff. I like the MMA hour a lot. Well, again... Maybe that information that I got from the UFC is also incorrect, and maybe that's why his ban has been lifted. But look, no one wants a guy like Ariel Helwani to not have a gig, and I think him getting banned, honestly, if you're an Ariel Helwani fan, you should be jumping up and down for two reasons. One, you should be happy that he got banned, because then it makes him like a martyr, and then happy that he got reinstated, because now he's a hero. Yeah. So I'm an Ariel Helwani fan, so I'm happy. I'm obviously a UFC fan, so I'm happy. I'm glad they worked it out and everybody talked. We get to groovy. watch. Uh, we get yeah. to watch Brock Lesnar fight. Exactly. But it's th- these everybody that's freaking out that he's only doing his job. That's not necessarily true, folks. It's it's a little bit more complicated than that because it's not like that information wasn't already coming out. And if you have information that you know is going to come out, write a fucking story about what that information means. Because that's yeah. what I want out of Ariel Helwani. I think Ariel Helwani is a really smart guy, and he's really insightful, and he's a true MMA fan. And he's a guy that is going to give you some really good insight and some very, very uh, well-articulated thoughts that I enjoy. So I'm happy. I'm happy he's back. I'm happy. But that is the perspective that when I found out about it, I had to ask. I called, and I, I had this conversation with people that I deeply trust and this was the version that I was handed. So now everybody knows, and it's all groovy. So the conspiracy theorists can say, he's working with the UFC. <laughs> yeah, I'm a puppet. <laughs> but, I mean, look, obviously I love the UFC. And obviously Dana White is a very good friend of mine. So you're not going to hear me criticize them. You know, I mean, even if I, if I disagree with them, 
you're like he's my friend. So but it is, makes it yeah. makes sense. That's how human interactions work. He's like yeah. a friend, and by the way, and he's created an amazing company. He's the, he's the reason why this sport is out there, and you guys have worked together for. So even if you had a falling out, and you were like, I don't want to work there anymore, why would you go publicly? You would never of, hear you know, that from me, and I would never work for anybody else either. Dude, you know, people I've, said like, if you leave the UFC, you're like, what are you going to do? You work for Bellator? I'm like, I'm not working for anybody. If I don't work for the UFC, I am never doing this again. Yeah, I couldn't see you commentating for another MMA no organization that'd be chance. too much no chance just no chance it's not even on the table it's not going to happen i just won't do it anymore i mean yeah. I, I would be happy to just go back to doing stand up i'm i like being a fan and honestly my favorite thing to do i don't i love calling fights don't get me wrong it's an amazing job i've had it for a long time but fight companions are even more fun Right. Fight Companion podcast when it's Eddie Bravo and and Schaub and Callan and, and we, you just hang out and watch. Oh my god! And we drink and eat food and talk <laughs> shit. And and if the fight's boring, someone tells a story about you know getting laid or shit in their <laughs> pants in traffic. Or I mean, it's hilarious. Yeah, it the, sounds it's like the a great way to fun. watch. It's the best because we get look the best seat in the house is kind of there live where I sit, so I do kind of have the best seat in the house. But honestly. Watching it on TV might be the best seat in the house because you don't get the obstruction of the cage. I've been well. Look, I don't. I've like the UFCs I've been to. I don't have like the great fucking seats either. I've sat and just and I've caught myself sitting there where you're well, watching you do the big now, screen. Buddy. Ooh. Life is changing. I'll hook you up. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've been sit there where I'm. Literally, I'm catching myself just watching the screen, of like course. the big screen, a lot. And yeah. you're kind of you are aware of that. Or you're just like I'm really not even watching this live half yeah. the time. You know, they start fighting over here, and you're like, ah, now the octagon's blocking me. And you don't get the commentary unless you have one of those earpiece things that they sell. So, like, sometimes something's going on, and you're like, what is happening? Why is a doctor in there? Like, what's going right. on? Why is he sitting in a stool? Why is he on the ground? Like, what the fuck is going on? And it'll take you, like, ten minutes of frustration to try to decipher, and then, like, Bruce Buffer has to announce it due to an injury. And yes. you go, ah, But speaking fuck, of that, you, you know? do get to see the Bruce Buffer 360 every time. Which well, is, he doesn't do a 360. He does a 180. 180 He's only sorry. done one 360, and that's a <laughs> UFC 200, which, ladies and gentlemen, begs the question, should we convince Bruce Buffer to do something else? A, seven a 720? <laughs> do we convince him to do a 720? Insane. You heard it he's right like, here. But he's getting up there in age. I don't want him to blow out an ACL. He blew, <laughs> that's how, that's he how blew his ACL out doing the jump. You know, he does that thing no. oh, where he goes, it's... He blew his ACL he, doing he that. He blew his ACL out doing which that. Which which fight? I don't remember. He'd probably tell me if I asked him. He I mean, he might not even. Well, I'm sure he remembers. But here we could watch the 360. By the way, this 360 is 100% my idea. Mm -hmm. I talked him into it. There's an, even a video of me talking him into the 360. <laughs> and I'm like, because he always did the 180, and he did the 180 because he accidentally was pointing towards the wrong side once, and he realized that. Um, go, there's another one, dude. I think Fine. I might have seen yeah, that. Look at this one. one. Hold up. Yeah, bring this to the beginning, bring it to the beginning, and then crank it up real loud so we could hear it. You do it, bring it from the beginning, put it in the beginning, bring it in the beginning. There you go. My main goal this weekend, besides having fun and getting to see some awesome fights, is talking Bruce Buffer into the Buffer 360. The Buffer 360 will be happening. <laughs> it's very well possibly good. Now, we planted the seed in his head. <laughs> Shit, it was about a year ago we talked to him about possibly going from a 180 to a 360. Could he do it? Well, that crazy motherfucker went home and actually practiced it. We're going to work on him at the weigh-ins. We're going to make him feel it. We're going to massage him until he feels it. We're going to do whatever we can do. The Buffer 360. 
360 brought to you by the power of marijuana. <laughs> so this is the UFC. I'm here with Bruce Buffer. It is UFC 100. Today is the day. Will we see the Buffer 360? It still stands that I will know at that exact millisecond of the moment I decide to do it. Do I want to do it? Yes, I do. But let's see how the energy feels and let's see how I feel and let's see how the show goes. But if I can do it, I'll pull it off. If I Suspense! <laughs> I can't fucking take it! <laughs> Joey Diaz was sitting there right behind me while it happened. I forgot that. Joey was right there. So this is the biggest ever UFC pay-per-view. And that's me with a video camera on Mike Goldberg hoping that he's going to do the 180. Oh, the 360. <laughs> wow, look how lean Frank Mir looked at the time. He looked great. Now, now here. <laughs> Get ready for this. Introducing the champion, hiding out of the red corner. This man is a wrestler. Joseph was like, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. I was like, he's not going to do it. Here he goes. I was so happy. So, there's Red Band, Diaz, and Ari Shafir. Wow, everybody looks so young. Wow. It's crazy. That was seven years ago. That doesn't seem like seven years ago. Somehow Ari had an older haircut at the time. Well, he was going for the mustache look at the time, and he had a lot of craziness going on. Wow. That's a long-ass time ago. That's crazy. That only and has 73,000. Who, who has that up? Is that Red Band's page? Wow, I should put it on my channel. So we have to figure out a way to make a 720 plausible. Yeah, he needs a hoverboard or something. Mm. So the other breaking news you just handed me is that Kimbo Slice died. Whoa. How did he die? Kimbo Slice died. Was, uh, I think he was admitted to the hospital with a heart condition <sighs> today or maybe Thursday the other day. And news is breaking just as we were coming on. People were trying to get confirmation on if he actually passed and... American oh, so top team tweeted it. That he oh, did. the American top team tweeted that he died. He must have really died. Wow. He was a good guy, man. I met that dude a couple times. Very nice guy. Fuck, man. Crazy story he had, man. Just fuck internet street fights into the UFC. Well, or he was, first into the CBS thing. He was a good boxer. You know, he was a good boxer in the early days of uh, MMA. You know, and if you go back and watch his like Kimbo Slice KO and Elite XC, just Elite XC fucked up and trying to put all their eggs in one basket and have this guy who was this internet sensation be their figurehead. I mean, it made sense like financially, but people in the know, like me, I was like, listen, if he fights someone good, he's going to get fucked up. Like, I see all these holes in what he does. And it, it was frustrating 
as a hardcore fan because it was still at a point like the, the UFC is much much bigger now. Right. It was I remember when they got that fight on a uh, on CBS like MMA had never been right on a big network like that before. So it was very frustrating that the biggest network was putting it out as if this guy was the best guy in MMA and you know us uh, like hardcore fans like me and my friends would be around bitching like Randy Couture would take him down in a second oh, yeah. and, you know but he was fun to watch well people forget that elite xc sort of had the scoop on the ufc they had the scoop on getting on broadcast television and they had millions of people watching those fights didn't ufc like weren't they in talks with hbo and mm -hmm. then it like fell apart and then elite xc ended up getting the deal with showtime or well whatever? here was one of the problems hbo wanted to replace me and Goldberg and put in their own commentators. They wanted to do their own version of the broadcast because they probably felt like us as UFC employees would be biased. And the UFC was like, that's not going to happen. Like, first of all, who are you going to get? Like, how many people are out there, especially at the time, that even do commentary? There's a small handful of people in the world that are qualified to do MMA and commentary at a top level. It was Not a big problem like back then. Yeah. A big, big problem with other organizations. It made them almost unwatchable because the, the announcing would just be so terrible. I mean, like nowadays, I feel like I, there was a while where I thought you and Goldberg were like the only team who can do MMA without me just wanting to mute it. Um, but I actually like now they've got the alternate teams have gotten fairly strong. Like yeah, Brian Dan, Stan's really yeah, good. Brian Stan's excellent. Dan Hardy's excellent. Dan Hardy's really good. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of people that can do my job now. Um, but back then, there was a small handful. And by the way, there are a lot of people that can do my... Other than Jimmy Smith, who's really good, who uh, works for Bellator, Jimmy Smith's excellent. He's, he's as good as me, easy. He's as good as anybody. He's, he's, he's fantastic. He knows his shit. He's a real fan. He's a smart guy. He's, he's easy to listen to. He calls things right. I'm a big Jimmy Smith fan. But um, other than him, outside of the UFC, who do you got? Outside the UFC, there's not not really much, unless there's some unknown guys I don't know of, which is definitely possible. But there's in the UFC, there's several guys now. You know, you got Kenny Florian, you got Brian Stan, you got Dan Hardy. There's plenty of people who can do it now. But they work for the UFC, so someone like HBO wanted to right. have their own team. Yeah, you, you can't just get sports guys. You just can't do that because they're not going to understand what the fuck's going on when the fight goes to the ground, and they're going to miss things, and it's going to be sloppy. You can't have that. You have to have someone who understands, and you have to have someone who can talk. Well, it's like when you watch old school uh, MMA, it's one of the craziest things about it, that you, it's being announced by people who don't understand the sport. So right. you literally hear them saying things like, uh, why is he tapping? Yeah. Yeah, you get you definitely get a lot of that. Well, you used to get a lot of that from uh, judges, which is really crazy. I have a friend That's of mine. bananas. I have a friend of mine who's a judge, and in, uh, in the middle of a fight, this woman, uh, who's also a judge, looked over and go, she goes, what is he doing? And someone had someone in a Kimura. She's like, what is he doing? What's going on over there? Like, she's a professional judge at the highest level in the UFC, and she had no. And this was four years ago, five years ago. So yeah, but this is why yeah. I'm against all those commissions. Well, being involved. yes and no. You definitely need commissions because if you don't have commissions and you don't have medical staff on team, you don't have like strict standards as far. You have to have some government. And especially with something like combat sports, because there's too many fly by the seat of your pants organizations that don't do medical screenings. People could die. I mean, they test. Well, I think you have to have like uh, certainly the companies would have to be held responsible for that stuff. Yeah, but you can't just leave it up to the companies because the athletes would suffer. If there's no medical coverage right there, you can't have an event like an MMA event where you're putting your literally your health and your life in the hands of these people that are supposed to have all their ducks in a row so that they can run this event. And whether or not you even get paid is in question. See, 
because these guys don't have any power, the fighters. You know, there's no, they don't have enough influence, especially on a small local level, small shows. So I'm a big fan of how California does it. Like I said, I'm a big fan of that Andy Foster guy. I think he's, he's fucking He's as good as it gets when it comes to heads of athletic commissions. But I think that you have to have a bond where you have the money to pay the fighters before you can put on an event. That right. should be mandatory. Because you've done, have you ever done shows where you haven't gotten paid? Yeah, I have. It's fucking couple, yeah. horrible, man. It's, yeah, it's not frustrating. Fun. Especially no when you know that you there was an audience there and they laughed, so pe- there's money exchanged. But where's my money? Oh, because yeah. you don't have it. You don't even have a show if you don't have the show part of the show. Oh, I had I had one where I had to fly myself out to it and didn't get paid. And like there were people there. The club was oh, it was brutal. It was oh. brutal. Did you ever get paid? No, never. Never, never to this day. It was a gig with me and uh, me and Big J. No, Oberson were both on the gig together. Both of us didn't get paid. I was opening for him. This was years ago. I both like I was opening for him, but believe me, it probably hurt me more the money. Uh, I mean, uh, we both needed our right. money, but at the moment, I was like fucking broke. Ugh. Um, but I will say, then you also deal with a lot of other shit when you get these government uh, regulatory bodies, like with the the Vegas. Was it the Vegas Commission that handed Nick Diaz? Of course, that's yeah. special. Which I mean, has there ever, if you, the guy moved up a weight class and fought the greatest of all time at that weight class who tested positive for steroids. Yeah. And they found out he was had trace amounts of uh, THC, THC yeah. in his system and he passed a couple tests, right? He passed the most stringent tests available. He passed two WADA tests, two World Anti-Doping Agency tests. They were blood tests. They're much more particular. And then he failed a urine test that the Nevada State Athletic Commission but he says it's bullshit, and like the WADA people say it's bullshit. The WADA people are like, look, like there's no, fu-. and then they wouldn't test sample B. There was like some some issues with testing of sample B or allowing the tests of sample B, and they banned. They tried to ban him for five years. I gave out the Nevada State Athletic Commission's phone number. I put it out on Twitter, really? so and everybody call them. They were fucking pissed. They were pissed, but I was like, "Fuck you." Well, there were like petitions online and well, stuff they, like that. They People... should be fired, and then they should be locked in jail. Yeah, the the amount of incompetence that you have to have to think that you're going to take away a guy's athletic career for trace amounts of marijuana in his system and not examine the two water tests that showed that he was clean. Oh, it's just so disgusting. Fuck you. And this guy, this guy who uh, you know Nick Diaz, was like came from nothing and mm-hmm. like made a career yeah. of himself, like doing something positive with not his life. That, it's just trying pot. to ruin him. It's just pot. And he fought a guy on steroids. Yes, exactly. And it's he just fought the pot. greatest ever on roids. Yeah, you should yeah. just you should you should say I'm so sorry that we let a guy on steroids fight yeah. against you. Here's some more pot, exactly. and please don't sue us. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the idea that you can just go in there and run an organization like that and tell those people that are fighting. That their futures fuck. Like what they did to Vandalay Silva is arguably even more disgusting. Vandalay Silva ran away from a drug test. Okay. Not good. Definitely shouldn't do that. But they banned him for life. He's never tested positive, ever. Ever. Right. They banned him for life. Yeah, it's insane. That's beyond fuck. That's tyranny. Well, it's this guy, uh, this, the, the guy the cops killed in Baltimore, that guy Freddie Gray. Freddie Gray. Like essentially what he did was he ran. They didn't have anything on him. Right. He, they, he, they weren't like there to arrest him. He saw cops and ran. And it, it's like a weird dynamic where you're like running. It, it may be a little suspicious, but it's not itself a crime. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, how can there be such a hard punishment for running? Yeah. You just. Well, I, I mean, it just seems strange. Which, not was, exactly which was the, the one when the guy ran away and they shot him and then threw a taser on the ground? That, that was, was a North different Carolina. one. That was in North Carolina. And I think there was South a little Carolina? bit more. Maybe you're right. 
maybe it was one of those. I always want to go with South Carolina because I'm, I'm, I'm from the North. I okay. say, oh, it's those South Carolina ones that are all fucked up. The North Carolina people. North Carolina would never. Never. But didn't it, it did turn out that he was like, he had the cop's taser or something like that, right? In that, in that one? No, the cop threw the taser on the ground. Is the, that what it was? I don't remember this yeah. story exactly. There's a video of the cop I, chucking the taser on the ground after he shot him. Like, as if say, oh, caught him, he had a weapon. Yeah. Yeah, like, what? A lot of shady shit. There's something about that balance, too, of where, like, if you, if a cop is, is you know, if a cop grabs your arm and you, like, yank it away, assault. you're, like, assault, resisting arrest, yeah. you're gonna, you're, you're fucked now. But the cops can, like, beat a dude with a nightstick oh, yeah. half to death, and then they're like, well, we thought he might have been going for someone's gun. Yeah. Yeah, it's dark, man. It's it's and also cops, just like everything else we're talking about in government, they're people and they vary. And there's going to be people that are awesome cops. And I I personally think that it's one of the most difficult jobs a person can do. And psychologically, the the idea of going to work every day where all the people you deal with are going to be lying to you and up to something and hate you. Well, did like, you did you follow at all what happened? Um, it's like a, I guess a year and a half ago now in in New York where the NYPD had like a essentially a quasi shutdown. Yes, I mean it's it's and and I think what you're saying is absolutely true. I mean I think it's an incredibly difficult job and and a lot of that is because of the rules we have, which are kind of crazy. I mean the idea of having to police drug use. Yeah, is a very difficult position to put someone in because, the, I mean, obviously, first and foremost, it's a horrible thing to do to throw someone in a cage for putting something into their body. Yeah. But it's a very weird thing when there's no complainant. It's two people who are making a voluntary transaction, and now you got to go and like SWAT raid and find them. And yeah. this guy's giving a bag of something to another person. Go get them. But so if, for people who don't know, there was after that Eric Gardner guy uh, got choked out and choked to death in a. Or I don't know how you put it, but well, he, he, died. Died. he didn't get choked to death. I'm sorry, he, I shouldn't he, say that. He way. had like a heart attack. Yeah, he had a heart attack while getting tackled down yeah, for allegedly nothing. selling Lucy's. Yeah, loose cigarettes. Uh, nothing. So there were a bunch of protests, and then a couple, uh, two cops got shot in Brooklyn uh, by some maniac. Yeah, I think he was from Baltimore, yeah. and he drove up. He tweeted he was going to do it, mm -hmm. and then drove up and shot two cops who never saw it coming. These poor guys got killed on the job. Um, and then... At, as a result of that, they had like an official, unofficial, what they called an NYPD slowdown. And I'm, one of the, it was a spokesman for the police union, he said in, I believe it was the New York Post, he said, uh, as a result of this shooting, the cops will only be making arrests when absolutely necessary. Whoa. That's what he said, which was weird, like, shouldn't they always be doing that? But yeah. Anyway, so they, but uh, arrests went down like 80%. Uh, or at mm. least it was maybe like 60%, 66. <clears throat> 66. Okay, that's yeah. what we have here. And then it was like nonviolent tickets and, and bullshit arrests were down like 90%. Like they were just basically not doing that anymore. And there was this beautiful like month and a half long period where the, the NYPD just wasn't doing what they do. They weren't over-policing everybody. And then they started cracking the whip to get them to go back to do it because evidently a lot of money is raised by these, yeah, you know. Yeah, well, that's the issue. Glorified revenue collectors. There's a lot of revenue that gets gathered up in kind of fucking devious ways. Like, I've always been disgusted by parking tickets. Like, why? The, the city owns the fucking spot where you can leave a car, and you have to give them money to leave a car, and that's how they gather up millions of dollars, and they become addicted to that gathering of the millions of dollars? Right. That's fucking crazy. You can't do that, man. You can't, you can't... Oh, it's a horrible way to fund a system. It's imagine, terrible. Imagine, by the way, just being that guy. 
Yeah. Imagine being the guy who's going out just giving tickets. Like, you just go around ruining people's day, like, all day that was long. a friend of mine. My friend Brian used to do that. That must be a fucking weird... It's bad for your brain. Jo- oh, I, I'd imagine it has to be. I mean, yeah. imagine some of these people, man, who are, like, literally, you know, working, uh, like, you know, lower class jobs and have families to pay for, and you're just going to go hand them a fucking yeah, $100 ticket, ticket for nothing. $100 ticket, because your, your meter expired by two minutes. He didn't give us enough money. He's, and it's he's like changing a, his laundry yeah. or something and, and, you know, let it go for a few minutes. Yeah, I mean, I get the idea that you, you shouldn't have cars that are blocking the street. You should definitely give people tickets if they're doing something that obstructs it or tow them. But to just leave a car on the street, you have to pay money? Yeah. I mean, look, I have I have a problem with the way government raises almost all revenue. I yeah. mean, I just I reject the whole system of of like taxation at the threat of violence. I think it's like primitive and barbaric. And when when human beings look back on that, it's going to be the way we look back at like slavery or arranged marriage or whatever it is that the idea that the way we fund our organization, you know, like like let's say there are these services that are necessary. So the way we fund that is we go, uh, you have to pay a portion of your income or we'll fucking throw you in jail. Yeah, we'll put you in a cage. Lock you in a cage, like an animal. This is like, that's the biggest thing um, when I'm arguing now with people about like libertarianism mm-hmm. versus other you know, ways that we should organize society. That's my biggest thing that I just, I, I harp on is just uh, like, okay, who should we throw in a cage? Who is it morally acceptable to throw into a cage forcefully? Like send men with guns to get them and throw them into a cage. Like I'll grant you a murderer, a rapist, someone who assaults somebody. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we go into like theft. Yeah. yeah theft. Things like that. Because yeah. that is a violation of, you know, you own yourself and then you own your, your possession. Sure. So that's a violation. But are you, are you really okay if someone's like, oh, I don't want to fund that program? I, I won't, like I won't send my money in to fund the war. Because I don't believe in the war, so now we can throw that guy in a cage. Yeah. Or I don't want to. I don't want to fund a. Look, even if you have a really noble charity, why should you be able to threaten violence against someone to get them to fund it? Well, that's where I like Gary Johnson. Gary Johnson steps in and says, "We don't need the IRS." It's like, let's listen. We don't need. That's not how we have to make money. Which put taxes on on consumption. I I like Gary Johnson. I wish he would be a little more Ron Paul. But uh, in he's, what way? I just feel like Gary Johnson has this way of selling the libertarianism as this kind of like, well, you know, it's more practical if we do it the libertarian way. Huh. Whereas I like, you know, when, when he's asked about the wars, he'll say, uh, he'll say things like, um, he goes, I think if you look on average, these military interventions have hurt more than they've helped. That is exactly like, how he sounds. That's you know, a really that's good him. impression. Yeah, I've watched a lot of them. <laughs> well, so my only, by the way, that's not necessarily incorrect. It's just like, who, who would talk about mass murder that way? Right. I mean, it's, like, it's like talking about slavery, and you're like, mm-hmm. well, I just think overall this is an inefficient way to get cotton. <laughs> and you're like, Jesus, dude. Like, and you're, you're head abolitionist? Really? You're supposed to represent the abolitionist movement right. with that? That attitude. So he's like a moderate radical. Yeah, he's just a pragmatist, man. Mm-hmm. He's just like this. This makes more sense, which is which is fine. Yeah. But I don't really want to sell libertarianism as like I think we're fiscally conservative and socially liberal. But he's like a he's a bridge because he was a lifelong Republican. Like mm-hmm. he's a good bridge to getting people to consider an alternative party, and maybe one of the only ones that's currently available. See, I believe in a little bit more like a case for radicalism. I think that, um, so, Ron Paul, 
when he was in the 2007-2008 debates, he got a whole lot of people interested in libertarianism. And he didn't do it by being like a bridge to like, before I tell you, you know, slavery is horribly immoral, let me first convince you it's inefficient and ineffective. And then he went right to like, this is wrong. This yeah. is wrong. We're killing people in countries around the world. Like, this is morally horrible. And he got a movement going when he was in those debates. You know, Gary Johnson was in one of the major debates in 2012. Uh, do you remember anything from his performance? Because no. nobody ever does. No. <laughs> nobody ever does. Because no, he'll go in there and say things like, in New Mexico, I was able to balance the budget with cutting <laughs> 7%. And you're like, ah, you have the greatest, <laughs> the greatest political philosophy ever devised by man behind you libertarian you have the answer to all this shit you're the abolitionist in slavery times and like ah so you really feel libertarianism is the answer to everything that, that well no 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 let it's not in the same way that abolition isn't the answer to everything right. during slavery it's the first moral step to then we can live in a, what about libertarianism is so attractive to you uh I, I mean i just the i think it's philosophically sound and it's it's basically just, uh, to me, it's, it's a humble understanding of what existence is, and that we don't really know what this is. Man's kind of born into the world naked, and we're here with nature, and we're all trying to figure it out, and that, morally speaking, we should all own our own lives, and therefore own your own body, and, that, and basically it all centers around property rights and the non-aggression principle, which is just the idea that you should never initiate violence against a non-violent person. And then you just draw conclusions from that. Well, those are all really standard um, points in libertarianism that get brought up all the time. But why is it that libertarianism, even though it's so attractive to like young, intelligent guys like you, why is it that that has never caught hold in a mainstream way as an alternative third party? Because it really, the, the you've had like people like that run as independents that get a little bit of momentum, but it's always people always look at it like, well, that's never going to work out. He's never really going to get there. You, you, oh. you know, vote for Hillary. Right. She, she has a chance. You well, know what I mean? You I get those. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there's a game and there's, you know, it's, it's, um, there's like a, the government is a power center and it's in their interest to continue having power. And I think usually most people are much more, if they get close to that power, they're much more incentivized to try to expand it and to try to keep it than to at any point say, guys, you know, it'd be a lot more moral if we, uh, we didn't have this. And, you know, I mean, it's like, why did slavery persist for so long? Because, you know, it's a, it's a good way to get cotton without having to work. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people are getting rich off this thing. They certainly are. But I, I, do you, I, I wonder how much time it has left. Like this, this, it seems like it's a reoccurring, reoccurring theme that comes up over and over again when people talk about the problems that we have with uh, running society the way we're currently doing it. Is that this two-party system is just so preposterous. It's so ridiculous to say that you have these two groups... And they're both funded by the same people, competing against each other allegedly, but yet nothing changes. And that this is the system, and this is the only way to do it. Like, well, how, how come you can't have like a hundred different s yeah. systems and ideas? And what, what is this grand old party? And oh, what what's is, what's the idea of of there being a leader for three hundred twenty million people? Yeah, I mean, exactly. none of it makes any sense. A it's all just and an elephant. Yeah, what? It's, it's all silly. And then yeah. it's so weird how there's this big like uh, this big show about how much they hate each other, but <laughs> then they just come together over the most important issues. Yeah, I always you know, feel betrayed when I see like Clinton laughing it up with Bush. 
I'm like, what the fuck are you guys laughing about? And how many people died when you were in office? That's right. And how the media's angle on it, well, and you know, there'll be MSNBC or Fox News who supposedly hate each other, but when you see all the presidents together, they're all kind of celebrating it. They're like, it's nice that we could all come together and have yeah. this, this toast. Like, what? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. I thought, so you're all full of shit. And how is it that, you know, you have these things where, so, so the Republicans hate Obama, Obama hates the Republicans, they both think the other one's the reason why the country's falling apart, but then when, like, you know, Something like the NDAA bill where he says he can arrest American citizens with no charges and hold them indefinitely. We all just get together and sign that. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. And the media, that's not even like that big of a deal. Like they just passed a law that said they can arrest you. With that, like we just over the whole idea that you have rights, we just overthrew that in yeah. one in one bill. And uh, but you know that'll get like a mention here or there. But you have to understand that that won't be used. Don't worry about it. That's all for terrorists. That's my favorite. Obama actually uh, he put in a signing statement when he signed it into law. He said, and I guess this was to like appease the the liberal activists who maybe would be a little upset with him. But he said, my administration has uh, no plans of of. Detaining American citizens. But we want to let you know that we read your emails. If yeah. you fuck with us, just we're so coming you know. hard. Yeah. It's yeah. like, who's okay with that? Well, it's just frustrating for, I think, everybody that nothing changes and that this two-party system was in place when we were kids. It's, it's in place now, and it's quite possibly it'll be in place 50 years from now when we're dead. I don't know. I do think something is changing in this election cycle, and I don't, I don't know that it's purely a positive force. But there's definitely something going on. I mean, if you look at what's, what's going on with Trump, and I'm, I'm no fan, but it is a, it is a moment. Yeah. Trump is having a real moment, and he is kind of tearing down this matrix. And, uh, and, and Bernie also had an interesting moment. It's, it's very interesting that they always, the powers that be kind of decide who these people are going to be. And it does seem like this year people are really rejecting that. Yeah. On a very grassroots level, like, no, we don't buy this bullshit. Right. I well, wonder how much longer they can keep it up. Well, there's no real candidates. That's the problem. Yeah. It's like you're dealing with scrubs. It's like this minor league ball team that wants to play in the Super Bowl because there's some sort of a strike amongst really good players. It really seems like that. I mean, come on, man. You're telling me that Donald Trump is the best we can do? Or Hillary Clinton, like or you were Hillary talking Clinton. about before. With her. Yeah. I mean, how many, just as comedians, like, how many, like, charismatic just interesting people like do you yeah, know just sure. this show you do it's so many different like really smart interesting people mm -hmm. who you said they're like you're telling me we can't find one yeah who want but i think like you said before the real problem is that a, a good person or a, any type of honest person would right away go no i can't rule 320 million yeah. people well, I'm, not only that you would never get to that position because you would be compromised right. every step of the way mm -hmm. and then you'd become what they are yeah the only i mean it's a really rigged game and it's rigged through lobbyists and special interest groups and money and campaign funds. By the time you get to that position, unless you're a Bernie Sanders or a Donald Trump, and that's what makes it interesting, is they're the only two people that represents uh, two completely new paradigms. Yes. You have Bernie, who is this weird socialist type character, democratic socialist character, and then you have Trump, who's like the ultimate capitalist. And both people represent entirely new groups because Donald Trump is essentially at least partially self-funded. And, you know, now he's trying to get money and there's, well, he's already the nominee, though. I mean, he's, he's cemented. So it's, a, it's an interesting but, position where but, he's going to get some support. Yes, but so far, basically, Trump and Sanders both found a way to do it without right. taking corporate money. Yeah. Uh, Trump found a way to speak over the media and get the media to keep him in their 24-hour news cycle. Yeah, manipulated and, the shit out of everybody. But they're both, I mean, I, I got to say, they're not. 
I, I don't look at well their personalities are very different I don't know if anything about their policy their policies are actually like diametrically opposed I think they're both kind of populists in a lot of ways like Bernie Sanders has more of a re has more of an ideology like this is my philosophy on what government should do yeah and Trump's just kind of like well let's let it rip yeah but they're both kind of like let me tell you what you want to hear to the crowd well Trump is a carnival barker and you know he talks about that in the art of the deal I mean his his whole style of campaigning is is all mapped out in his books where he talks about this larger-than-life persona that he's created in order to make himself a public figure in order to make himself more wealthy more popular and more able to get things done I mean this is like a strategy yeah this this whole thing that he's doing like and I called him we're gonna make that wall ten feet higher like that's all like carnival Barker shit but it's amazing that he he's stepped into the game of politics and almost ripped it open from the inside where he's like I'm just talking like a dude yeah I'm not even doing and I don't know how Hillary Clinton's gonna handle this guy well how about when he was talking about how big his dick is well he to be fair he just said there's no problem no look yeah. it's amazing he was he, insinuating that someone was insinuating that he had small hands so he had a small penis and I just I want to let you know there's no problems there so he made a I have a big dick so here's what happened reference. right this guy this was like I think a, a couple decades ago okay there was this guy who worked for Vanity Fair and he wrote something about Trump having small hands and Trump sent him a picture like headshots of his hands and a note being like, I don't have small hands. Like, he actually responded to him. And this was out there. Like, I heard some people talk about this. So Marco Rubio knew if he went at his hands, this would, yeah, like, get to him. but it doesn't make sense because his hands aren't small. No. But for whatever reason, he said something. He goes, he, Marco Rubio said he's got small hands and you know what they say about guys with small hands. And this is the maniac that is Donald Trump. He couldn't not bring that up. So at the next debate, he goes, uh, he goes, and by the way, he said I have small hands and look at these hands. They're pretty good. Am I right? And just so you know, <laughs> like he couldn't stop yeah. there. So he goes, and just so I you know. know he implied that because of these small hands, that means something else is small. And I promise you, there's no problem there. Yeah, it was very bizarre. I mean, I Strange. guess his, his fingers are relatively short. They're not great. But it's there's nothing weird like where mm. you'd have to comment about it. They're it not presidential hands. I'll what say that. that. What's a pre <laughs> Abe Lincoln probably has some long ass crazy <laughs> hands. Crazy. Look at I mean, uh, I just... Uh, it's a, it's a weird thing to criticize, though, because you're talking about something that someone can't change. It's like it's, making fun of someone's ears when they're running for president. Like, it's hey, all man. bizarre. Yeah, but it's very strange. It's it's a but it is a tell to Donald Trump that he can't not address it. Like if you if you put that out there, he's got to come back. Yeah, like, but it worked. The problem is his comeback was effective. Yeah. So then he wins. So yeah. Marco Rubio, Marco Rubio, who's just this weird mama's boy looking putz. Like, like he just doesn't have any charisma when he would like be jabbing back and forth with Trump. Like, dude, you're an amateur. Like he's going to chew you up. He's used to being criticized. He's used to being arrogant. He's used to shutting people down. Yeah. Well, he's that's just going to bark that's, over you. That's another one of my issues with, with Gary Johnson is that I just feel like, man, if the, if the LP wants to do something, if the libertarian, you know, if they want to, they want to have a moment here and you're telling me the hope is if we can get to 15% in the polls, then we get into a debate and I have to over Overlook the fact that this guy was already in a debate that nobody remembers because he didn't do anything. In that. And now he's got to go debate Trump. Right. Trump. Uh, you got to send someone who's got some type of 
Well, he's going to be in the debates, though, right? Gary Johnson? No, yeah. he's got to get 15%. He's got to poll at. And he's got to get into the polls. Then he's got to get 15% in the polls. It's a whole but fucking th- thing. Right. And they, they also have to choose which polls. But I don't think they find him threatening. It might actually be smart for them to allow him in to expose. I mean, I think both sides would probably think that he would expose something that the other side has. And both sides would probably be under the impression there's an opportunity to capitalize on it. Well, I think the left uh, side, because he's a, a lifelong Republican sees him as more likely to peel away votes from Trump. Yeah. So in a weird way, I think they want him in there right. because they want to they hand it to Hillary. Right. So you, he might be able to take advantage of some of that, but I, I don't know. I think they, even though this is a whole different year, they really like the, the control on the two-party system. Yeah. You know, the last time uh, a third party really made any noise was, was Ross Perot, and they changed all the rules after that guy got out of there to the make it like... Commission for presidential debates. That's did, right. Yeah. It used to be like the... Uh, Women, the League of Women Voters or whatever mm-hmm. used to run it, and then the, the, now just the Democrats and Republicans, right? Like they were like, let's never let that happen again. Yeah, they fucked up. They let that a crazy old billionaire buy time on TV. Remember that? <laughs> yep. You're being hoodwinked. <laughs> I'll show you how. <laughs> yeah, you don't want some crazy old Texas billionaire on television in the 1980s or whatever the fuck it was. It's um, it just, it's one of those things to me where I don't see how it's going to change. I look and I go, boy, they can just keep running this fucking game for another four years and another four years and it'll keep going. And then we'll be like 70 going, what the fuck, man? See, Still? I don't think so. I think, think, I think we're we're on the verge of of the collapse. And I don't know exactly where verge is. Like, I, I don't know, you know, how much longer. President Trump might do it. Maybe. Maybe. But if you, I think if you look at a few kind of like fundamentals, we're in the process of an empire falling. Yeah. Like the far far too expanded militarily drowning in debt uh, and if you really look at the debt i mean it's not just the 19 trillion there's like over 100 trillion in unfunded liabilities like all these medicare and social security and all these programs they're they're all going to blow up uh we've we've also got you know just trillions and trillions of dollars that are extended being held at, at these big banks that there's all these factors and also look at the moral kind of like uh the cultural decay kind of going on that trump i think kind of embodies I think there's a lot of indicators that we're in the in the crash process. Well, he he embodies the cultural decay in in that one sense, and on the other sense, you've got the, cu- the cultural decay by social justice yes. warriors and people yes, super absolutely. oversensitive who Ralph Nader's rallying against now. Ralph Nader, I pulled this up wow. on Twitter today. Uh, Ralph Nader was saying that men today are oversensitive because they never had to deal with the draft. He's like, you're, you're, you guys are complaining about nothing. Like, this is, this is nonsense. Good for Ralph Nader, yeah. man. Look at this. Look at this. Ralph Nader on trigger warnings. Young men are far too sensitive because they've never been in a draft. Isn't that fucking hilarious? They're talking about trigger warnings. But trigger, trigger warnings make me want to fucking hit somebody. It really does. Oh, Jesus it's, it's insanity. It makes me so... It's so fucking stupid that you're supposed to protect people from... Tri- First of all, that is not even how trigger works. Triggers work by like being in a place where something bad happened to you or hearing a sound or seeing a thing. It's not bringing up the act of. Like if someone says, you know, murder, oh, my dad was murdered. It's a trigger warning. Why didn't you warn me? The trigger hit me. Like that's not how, but that's the whole world's going to trigger you then. Then every fucking piece of media, every movie, every television show yes. has the potential for being a trigger warning. So really? And, and like it's not as if like uh, uh, I just hate people and I don't care if you're triggered and you know deal with your past like I think we have a big epidemic of soldiers coming back suffering from PTSD I'd like to not send them to wars so we don't have to deal with this but the idea that we should 
we should change, we should like nerf foam the world yeah. in case you're triggered. So a college now can't explore anything they want to because what if someone had something violent in their past happen? And then it seems to be a very convenient thing where, you know, like the feminists or the social justice warriors are like policing rape jokes in the comedy community, but they don't ever seem to be policing like a war joke or, a, you know, it's like they don't seem to care about men being triggered. And uh, like you were saying, it's mostly just infantile bullshit. It's just these, you know, privileged kids on college campuses who are like, want to shut down a conservative speaker from talking. It's, exactly. it's really insanity. Yeah, it's, it, and it's, it's so fucking, the, the way they're doing is rabid. It's like they're so frothy at the mouth and so like taken away with the idea that they're doing some incredible right and this has to be done and this, this justice must prevail and transgender people should be able to use the women's room without you know, any questioning whatsoever about where they stand. Like, there's some weirdness going on today that is like what we were talking about when people are young, when you can send them to war, then when you send these young people to war that they don't, they don't really have enough data yet. Well, there's a lot of that going on where there's a social war, and these people don't have a lot of data either. And they're just furious and foaming at the mouth. And when it all is said and done, the dust settles. When they're older, they're probably not even going to be on that team anymore. You know, you're probably going to wise yeah. up and realize how fucking goofy those people you're hanging around with are who are getting mad at white people for wearing dreadlocks. Oh, my God. Social gosh. appropriation, cultural appropriation. It's like, listen, we all hate white people in dreadlocks, yeah. but you've actually made me someone I hate more than white people in dreadlocks. <laughs> yes. That's how much you've fucked up. Not only that, you don't even know where dreadlocks came from. First of oh, all, well, white people have had dreadlocks throughout history. Well, that's what you, when you were comparing the kind of cultural decay from the Trump supporters and the social justice warriors, I do see a lot of it just rooted in like anti-intellectualism. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just like no, it doesn't matter. You don't need to know anything. Right. All you need, I mean, they will shut down a Christina Hoff Summers speech. Yes. Who, but I think a she's feminist. amazing. I, I she's saw you brilliant. did a great podcast with her. Uh, but the, I, I mean, she is, she's a feminist. She's a liberal. Yes. She's a liberal feminist who's just going, oh, by the way, your data is a little off. Yes. With this. And they're like, oh, rape apologist. Exactly. She I mean, just talks about the facts and she, th she calls herself a factual feminist. That's her statement. Right. And there's, there's something wrong with telling people they have things wrong to them. I mean, this is how crazy the left has gotten. Because you're you're what you're you're 20, and you figured everything out, evidently. Well, it's just noise. There's a lot of noise, and sometimes in those noise, there's some important points on both sides. But boy, there's a whole lot of noise too, and it's 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 a lot of arguing, a lot of yelling gets done, and not a lot of progress gets made. Just people dig in their heels and they take a side, they draw a line in the sand, and you got the people on the right and the people on the left, and woof. Yeah, like you said at the beginning, it becomes a big like team identity thing, and then you're like, then it's just justifying the position yeah. you're already in. So you're just looking for kind of you know confirmation bias, like my team's right or my team's right, and yeah. You know. And why is everybody so goddamn sensitive? Like uh, the the gender pronoun thing is so fucking bananas. Like you should know that if you're a dude and you look like a woman, okay, that people are gonna get that wrong on occasion. Like, okay, what, what, what do you look like? Okay, do you look like Catherine Zeta-Jones in a bikini? Well, if you do, people are going to say her. <laughs> and if they say her, that's not a bad thing. Oh, you're assuming my gender? You know, there's people out there that they think that you should name your dog gender-neutral names because your dog can't decide. Like, this is a real debate amongst feminists and social justice warriors who have animals, whether or not they should impose their 
stereotypes that they have on human beings on their dogs and cats. Yeah, but there's something. There, look, and it's just insanity. But I feel like there's <laughs> something like on these college campuses <sighs> that's almost like that's housing that. Yes. Like they're letting them develop these ridiculous ideas. And I'll tell you, I think part of it. I, I really blame the college professors for a lot of this because I think these are also people who have. A lot of them have lived in college their entire lives. Yep. They're people who go to college and then just stay in college. Yep. And they, they get post-graduate you know, graduate degrees and then they, they teach. And they're kind of letting this happen. And no one's going like, okay, shut up. That's not a real issue. Right. Like, I, look, I'm, I'm all for, like, I, I'm a complete libertarian. You should be able to, if you, if you have a doctor who's willing to perform a surgery on you and you want to identify as her instead of him, I'll call you her because who cares? I'm not going to call you Z. No, that's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, I probably sir. But you also can't, even if I'm willing to call you something, you can't make it a huge issue if not everybody is willing to call you that. Yeah. Like, this isn't, we're, we're fighting here? wars here. Have you seen here? H-I-R? That's, yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen, that's, There's like 18 of those now. Yeah, like LGBTQ mm -hmm. is not even close to all the letters that well, are on that thing anymore. Well, how about in New York, they're going to find businesses if they intentionally misgender you. Yeah, like see, you can get sued and fined for like a quarter million dollars if you don't call someone Z. Yeah. See, and this is where this is where it becomes like a real fucking problem. Is it's like, okay, you know what? You guys can have your little fun and games and your safe space on college campus all you want to, but now you start bringing in the forceful arm of government to actually go fuck over a business owner who's trying to provide jobs and you know feed his kids. But even it, it becomes a problem even in colleges because yeah. what if you don't subscribe to those ideologies and you got to go to school with these monkeys and they're all running around insisting. Their their pronoun is Z H E E, and if you don't say it, you're a shitlord. Like, whoa. Yeah, well, it's also real scary the fact that if you've ever, you know, had a drunken hookup, you're a rapist. Oh yeah. Which oh, but is, by the way, know... only the man, only yes, the man. Of course. And that's what happened at Occidental here. And um, when we we talked about it on the podcast with um, Professor Renegade History Thaddeus Russell, Thaddeus Russell, who's brilliant, brilliant guy, and. Um, we were talking about how incredible it is that they find a way to justify two people hooking up with text messages with a girl saying, come on over, bring condoms. They have sex, and the guy is the one who's a rapist because they were both drunk. That's insane. The it's, guy got kicked out of school, and he's still in yeah. the middle of lawsuits. Oh, it's, it's, it's insane, but it's also like a fascinating glimpse into how you see things because it's weird how you – it's almost like these guys come back to be the caricature of what the 1950s chauvinist was supposed to be, assuming that women are these fragile, delicate creatures exactly. who can't handle the same thing a man can. It's like you're really being the sexist here. Exactly. I, I, I always say like all those guys um, – who who would like I remember there was a big thing on your show when when Jamie Kilstein was on about the Tosh uh, rape joke but I always want I wonder when I and I've argued with a few people like that who I do now by the way I'm not throwing this out in the stupid way that it's thrown out when they go more men are raped than women are raped that's not but why is it seeing as that that is a fact prison included and stuff like that why is it that every time you think of this scenario where someone's triggered from a rape joke it's always a woman. You're always like, what if there's a woman in the crowd who's been triggered? Or what if this, like, it's never a concern that it could well, be a man who we're could be tribal. triggered. It's because we tr we're tribal. And we break off into male versus female teams. Yeah. And if the males are the rapists on both accounts, men are raping the women and they're raping the men. See, I told you men are shit. They're raping each other. Right. But no one seems to feel for that rape victim. No, because they're man. men. Exactly. Because they're on the wrong team. Oh, dude. You're Kurt, on a shitlord team. Kurt made this up point. Did you ever see the Law & Order episode? When, uh, nope, they did... I'll tell you now. No, but you, you know, I've never seen any Law and Order. I never you know, you didn't hear they did the one on stand-up comics and rape jokes? No, dude, it, it's no, they did. It's the worst thing that's ever been made. Oh my god, dude, it's not even like you can't even believe how bad it is 
until you see it. Oh. It's like this 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 guy makes a rape joke at a at a comedy oh club, and of course God. it kills because that's what happens when you tell a woman in the crowd you hope she gets raped. Everyone oh. just laughs at the top of the anyway, and then uh and then by the end then she gets raped after that because he made the rape joke. It leads to rape, and then I'll do you one better. At the end, he's actually the rapist. The guy telling the rape joke turns out to be the rapist. It was like the most ridiculous, irresponsible thing ever, and uh, <sighs> Kurt. Kurt Metzger made this point. I just think it's so fucking funny. But he goes, don't they threaten men with rape on every episode of that show? <laughs> like every episode, they're like, you better start talking. Men like you don't do very good in prison. And you're like, well, really? You're not going to just go clean that up. You're going to threaten me with it. Like you're going to use that as a negotiation tactic. <sighs> That's so fun. What's it? such a shitty show. Those shows oh, are all just, shit. Oh, every awful. one of those crime shows... What the fuck is it about America where we want to watch hospital shows and police shows? That's all we want to watch. We want to watch people that are in trouble, someone's trying to hide from the law, or someone that's worried that mom's not going to make it. And they're yeah. holding her hand, and the doctor's working furiously, and a young, handsome doctor, he leaves after 16 hours, and he's sweaty, takes his hand, and then another guy comes in with a gunshot wound, and back to work. <laughs> wow, so noble. Cut to, you know, commercials for fucking Tide deodorant and whatever. <laughs> Something Shampoo about and fucking Toyota trucks and everybody goes to sleep. <laughs> Wake up in the morning. Oh, time to consume. We are a weird fucking people. Uh, we're a the weird weirdest group. thing. We're the weirdest thing. It's because collectively you have to look at us as what we are as a giant super organism. Like what are we doing? We, we look at us, ourselves inside of our culture and our belief systems and our actions and what gets done and the pollution of the environment. But overall, what is the species doing when you're looking at it? As, as an outsider, if you were completely removed from culture, completely removed from tradition and communication, and you just looked at us as like some weird organism, like what is it trying to do? What's well, just making better stuff all the time? That's all it's doing. And all this other stuff that it does is just to distract it while it's making better stuff. All these yeah. little chicken dances and peacock feathers and all the fucking weird noises it makes and <laughs> virtue signaling. I have a mattress and I'm carrying it around so my rapist is brought to justice. All that uh -huh. madness and all the arguing and all the craziness that's going on is just a distraction while it's making better and faster computers. Yeah. That's all it is. It's, it's creating an artificial life form well, it's like and it's going to do it under this guise of, of, of Christianity and Islam and all these different things. It's like, oh no, you know, Islam is the way. Oh no, Christians are the way. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's a robot, a robot overlord that the switch <laughs> is about to get turned on and you're fucked. You're all fucked. But it's, it's going to wipe like, you out. It's, it's the evolutionary game of numbers we were saying before. So you need to throw all these people out to get a tiny percentage that will be geniuses that will keep this thing moving. Yep. And then you need, the rest of us are basically just waste it's like hey you're just jerking off and watching some dumb reality show but if you keep fucking and keep fucking eventually a genius will pop out who will move this thing forward a little bit and a little bit and yeah. then the robot we're essentially like a giant hive of worker ants with potential options like you really can write harry potter and break away from the rest of the worker ants you yeah. really can have a kid that's a fucking math genius because you dropped him on his head when he was a baby <laughs> you don't want to tell anybody why this kid's so fucking good at math <laughs> There's a lot of that going on, man. And those little fuckers grow up to be like some Elon Musk character that starts making electric cars in a hyperloop that gets you to San Francisco in three minutes. There's some weird shit happening, and it's all happening like exponentially all around us all the time, adding up while we're worried about trigger warnings and whether or not trannies can use the fucking men's room or the women's room. And like, 
That Sorry. whole particularly, I mean, that, oh, that, angry. that whole culture on the left of whatever you want to call it, like the, the social justice warrior that people call it the regressive left. I yes. like that term a lot. I like that term. Uh, but it really is just insanity. I was watching uh, recently the, um, did you ever see the, uh, the 30 for 30 on the Duke lacrosse yes. scandal? I mean, it's amazing. First of all, that, that accusation, it's not like there was a, it was a gray area or like they had sex and she was a little drunk or they had, like nothing happened. They didn't have sex. This crazy person who's in jail for murder now made something up. And it's interesting to watch it and like looking back, you know that what happened, you know she made it up. And seeing the, the social justice warriors protest these guys and the white knights, the dudes who are hanging out right next to the feminist chick going, these lacrosse guys are out of control and they should go to jail. And you're like, dude, nothing fucking happened. How about Nancy Grace? Nancy oh. Grace never even took any heat for that. She was on TV calling for their arrest, on TV accusing them of this in front of millions and millions of people. And somehow or another, she didn't get sued. Somehow or another, she didn't get brought to jail. They should have pulled her fucking show off oh, the air. Oh, she should. I mean, what, what does it take to get fired? It I takes mean, the, being a man. If she was oh. a man doing the exact same thing about a woman doing something horrible... Oh, I bet you're right. If there was I, a you, team of women that did something ter that were alleged to have done something terrible, and she was r ranting and or he was ranting and raving about these women being brought to justice and brought to jail, and it turns out it was there was no crime being committed at all. You'd have to apologize. You would. She didn't even have to apologize. She didn't do shit. I, I can't remember who the other reporter. Um, you remember at the end of the documentary, there's the one who apologizes. But she actually, she goes like, she, um, she's like, look, I, she, she apologized and she wrote a thing, like an apology to enough. them. Oh, no. Then they cut back to the, uh, the articles that she was writing at the time. And it's like this insane. She's like, these boys all know what happened and they know they're guilty and they need to be punished for this. Oh. Blah, blah. And then she's even in acknowledging it. She goes, well, you know, I do think uh, the fact that I was sexually assaulted in college probably did come into play. And of how, course. And you're like, you okay. little fucking snowflake. Yes, well, guess what? Now you can't be a journalist anymore. Well, not only that. I don't know what to tell you. What, what, what really happened in college? Do we know? Or are you calling sexual assault getting drunk and getting fucked? Right. Because that might have happened too, because that's really acceptable to say today. Yeah. And that's disturbing as fuck, man. And look, even if you were, even if she was completely, you know, in like legitimately sexually assaulted, not any of these bullshit gray areas, like right. it was an actual sexual assault. The idea that you would, you like you're covering a sexual assault right. case, okay? And you were sexually assaulted before. So right away, what an honest journalist would do would be recuse yourself. You would go, oh, I can't really do this because I'm too emotionally invested in something that happened in my life. But now to not do that, you're covering this, something that happened to you that you would have to be aware of. I got to make sure I don't let that creep into my right. professionalism. But you're using that to try to, you know, just, to go after yeah. these guys and then, well, and then and I mean, justifying it after it's been proven that it was incorrect Well, she did to her credit. She did apologize once it was right. proven to be incorrect But still like you said, that's not enough But didn't you say that in in the apology in the apology? She was saying how she'd been sexually assaulted yes. She's yeah. a, she See, was kind of using that as, as an excuse yeah, almost. You, you can't do that It doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything to these guys because no. they didn't do anything so they're totally innocent Those are someone's babies Someone's babies, young boys who grew up to be young men, and they didn't do shit. And you are writing stories. Oh, it's like saying that they know what they did. It's like if you were a therapist and you were you were seeing like some sixteen-year-old kid, and you told them to cut off all ties with their their parents, and then it turned out their parents were like really wonderful people, and you were like, you know, part of it might have been that my parents were really bad, so <laughs> I exactly told them to cut. Like. And you're like, well, then you can't be a shrink anymore. I don't exactly. know what to tell you, but you're bad at your job. Yeah, well, that's cult tactics, right? That's one of the big things they do is tell you to get away from your parents, get yeah. away from your family. That's a big one. Which, to know? be fair, a lot of people's families probably suck, so it's really easy. Yeah. 
It's easy. If you if you saw most of the people who end up in cults, I bet their families did really suck too. They're lucky a lot of those people that are in cults. They're they're lucky they're not sucking dick for cheeseburgers <laughs> somewhere. A lot of them are just morons. Like yeah. that's look, there's a frequency that some people operate on that's really easy to fucking hijack. There there's a lot of people out there that are just dumb and you're not going to fix that. They're dull. Well, dull-minded folk that really could be easily influenced, and that's why democracy is such a fucked system to begin with. Well, because well, it's, yeah. it's just play—it's it's all everyone who's playing to that who can whip those people up and get on their frequency. And then there's smart people that could be manipulated. They can be manipulated once they attach themselves to an ideology. Yep. Like we were talking about, like people on the left that are avoiding all the craziness about Hillary. Like you had a quote that I really liked that's on your Twitter. You know that if like Hillary was a man. That had done uh, the, all the same things that she. What, what is the quote? What is it? Your exact. I say. I said uh, if Hillary was a male Republican with the exact same voting record, all of her supporters would hate her with a passion. Yeah, it's true, and it's one hundred percent true. One hundred percent true. I mean, it's not. This is not controversial These in are, any way or shape or form. Hillary is is you know. I mean, in the stuff I was saying before, but she's she's like courting the left. She's quoting people who are supposed to be liberals, and you'll go, she's supported every single war of my lifetime. Every single war. Well, not and only they, that. And they can get past that. She didn't support gay marriage up until 2013. Even their pet issues. Yeah, it's, she's, she's a weird one, man. She's a really, really weird one. That fucking Libya thing. We came, we saw, he died. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's okay. Like, are you, are you kidding me? What, you remember when uh, the fucking Vermont guy screamed, I think we're going to go all the way to Wales. Ah! Howard Dean. Howard Dean. And that one yell did him in. Like, that's it. They saw yeah. that and they're like, fuck this guy. We we came, we saw, he died. Ha 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 ha. Like that doesn't you don't think that lady's fucking crazy? <laughs> you don't think that lady's fucking crazy? Oh, I and mean, you're down for her? That's that is a completely an ideology thing. You you she's she's on your team. You're going to you're going to go along with it just like it's a religion, just like you're you're subscribing to some predetermined thing. It's it's, it's just it's weird for me to see. First of all, it's weird that she wants to be president. Like, aren't you old? Like, you're an old lady. How much got, energy do you have? You got a ton of money. You just had your first grandkid. You Where's got, your like, perspective? Yeah. Like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to make history as a woman? Is that what it is? I mean, do you want to just, like, get back at your husband for getting his dick sucked in 1991 or whatever the fuck it was? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't even think it's that. I think it's, it's I mean, who knows? Who's, I, you know, I'm not in their head, but I, I think these people are, like power brokers that just want more and more of it and it's a real it is probably a thrill unlike anything we could imagine to I have guess. that much power and they've they've tasted a little bit of that you know yeah it just it seems to me that she's like so old that she would just want to chill you mm. know it just doesn't make any sense to me yeah. she's she's an old lady like she doesn't have good health. Like that was the other thing they concerned with. She had some health issues, right? Yeah. yeah. Didn't she have like concussions or something? Mm -hmm. Yeah. There How was, did she it was, get hit in the head? I forget what it was, but Bill it was when beat the fuck out of her. Imagine that. <laughs> it turns just... out that Bill just wailed on her, and she wants to keep it <laughs> quiet. Bill fucking KO'd her. Head I mean, it her. wouldn't. He's been accused of violence. Wow. She has suffered from fainting spells since at least 2005. In that year, she passed out, presumably sober, while giving a speech. In 2012, she passed out yet again and suffered a concussion. Holy fuck. Presumably sober is something that if they ever have to say it, it's just not good. Yeah, you got issues. We're but always presumably sober. 
I'm not usually pursuing music, but <laughs> all right, you know. But, but this idea that she fell asleep and and hit her fucking head, like when people fall and hit their head, it's one of the worst things about getting knocked out is not getting punched in the head. It's you falling down and getting hit in the head with the earth. Yeah, like their their heads bounce off the ground. That's like a big issue in street fights and stuff. When you watch someone get sucker punched. They well, fall down and their head gets bounced off the curb. And I think people who have like epilepsy and things like that, like that's the big oh, yeah. fear. Of what happens is that you end up cracking your head mm -hmm. on the ground. It's not just yeah. the the uh, seizures. Seizures. Um, yeah, there's there's something I don't know. You know, Hillary Clinton said recently, and this would probably be one of the tactics she tries to use against Trump. But she said something along the. She goes, you know, I just I I don't know if he's the type of guy we would want having control of the nuclear codes. And it's just like an interesting thing to look at where you're like, how crazy is it that any one person has control of those nuclear codes? Like, we're just counting on one person to not snap. To not kill the whole world. To just, yeah, hopefully you don't ever just like, I've had enough, I'm fucking... Right. Well, we know that people kill themselves. Right. That alone should just disqualify human beings from having that kind of power. Yes. Are human beings capable of killing people? Yes. For no reason? Yes. Mm -hmm. Randomly? Yes. Um, what about killing themselves? All the time. How often? Every day. How many people? A lot. Oh, yeah. oh we can't have people run it. So let's no. have uh, a person uh, who's a, a politician who's in the highest stress job imaginable. <laughs> let's have them just have control of those codes. Well, unfortunately, that is the green light for the robot overlords to take over because we can't trust people. Well, the robots are just going to be way more sober about this. They're going to make rational decisions based on logic and mathematics and possibilities and probabilities and the understanding of human race that we really can't comprehend because we're just monkeys. Is this when you, brains. you bring me into your giver society? That I have to come? <laughs> no, I'm going to bring you to one of those landmark meetings, <laughs> those landmark forum meetings. Yeah. Um, I think that th this is entirely... Uh, it's entirely possible that AI is going to be how we dictate government in the future. Yeah, Allen Iverson's going to rule. Allen no, Iverson. I'm uh, that was his basketball yeah, player. Yeah, they used to call oh, him AI. AI. That's a dumb oh. joke. Uh, but so yeah, confused. it is. It is. It does seem like that'd be an interesting tipping point. I do feel like I'm more on the side of technology than on the side of being afraid of it. Oh yeah, me too. I just feel like it's going to be more of a. It's. It's humans will be guiding it, at least to a certain point. And I think it's going to make life a lot better. I think we are some weird sea anemone type character, some weird fucking primitive life form that is really kind of outdated. And it's not going to, we're not going to make it. You think we're going to have to uh, yeah, combine? Yeah, we're going to symbiotic. We're, we're going to become symbiotes. We're going to definitely have computer chips in our brain. It'll start off with you'll be able to store your memories and share them with your grandchildren. All we have to do is install this chip. And then next thing you know, you, well, we can increase your vision with this uh, retina implant, and we can in, double your IQ in three weeks. Oh, fucking sign me up. That's and, hard to say no you know, to. Well, I know that your joints are bothering you, Mr. Wilson. Let's replace your hips with artificial hips. Okay, let's do it. Okay, now you got artificial hips, and you're like, you know what? We found a new way to uh, replicate the spine without any of the pain and issues, and uh, we're just going to replace it all with titanium. And, oh, okay, well, I'm in. And then next thing you know, your, your, your bone's getting brittle, so you're getting old. Well, fortunately, we figured out a brain transplant with a, a bioidentical body. We're going to take your brain. It'll only be outside of your current body for three <laughs> minutes. Whoa, hold on. Okay, what am I now? Because I'm, now I'm a brain inside a new body? I don't well, want to do that surgery the first year they come out with it. I want to wait like a few years, yeah. let them work the kinks out. The problem with that is those people that got it first will take over. 
they'll be reading each other's minds and flying and breathing underwater, and you just want to have a chance to compete. <laughs> they're they're going to gather up all the money and the resources. They're going to have all the hookers, and then they don't even need hookers because they can get their <laughs> I was own. Gonna say, they can point. orgasm just by pressing their temple. <laughs> they're just going to jizz in their pants. Now, that that'll be a big turning point, man. If they can ever create a thing where like our sexual desires are taken care of. Oh yeah, and we don't need. Happen. I mean, yeah, that's that'll be an interesting uh, just fundamental change in humanity. Well, people get addicted to that. That's going to be a virtual reality thing, but then it'll be hollow because they're going to get addicted to it and there's not going to be any consequences. Like one of the things about sexual conquest, I think it's one of the same things with all sorts of uncertainty. You never know how it's going to turn out. And so there's risk involved and it's scary and people get addicted to this risk. And even the risk of rejection, I mean, it's not like really scary, like anything can go wrong, but there's a game going on. Like, can I get these people to love me? Like, how do I get these people yeah. to love me? Oh, I got to have the right chains on and the right car and show up at the right place and, you know, get, you know, get the right spot yeah. where there's a table service. And, you know, I have to have a bunch of people that are famous around me so that I look like a pimp. And, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so there's the whole identity yeah, thing and right. then it, it validates your identity to get that chick. It doesn't and then... always work. Some girls come up and like, Pfft. This motherfucker thing, he's something. And she walks off like, that bitch, she doesn't even know who I am. You know, and they're, they're trying to, like, figure out a way to become special. Well, if everybody just has to, you know, just download the fuck program, and all of a sudden you're in an orgy with 100,000 tens all lining up to blow you, like, where's the fun in that? Where's no, you're the thrill? right. But that's why the human, the human experience works in strange ways. So maybe then that's what we'll be attracted to. Like, you know, people will want to go back toward kind of the thrill of the hunt. Because like, oh, that's easy. I think it'll be more like a video game. Where video games are no fun if you get to play on God mode. You know, you right. play a video game on God mode, you can't get shot, you run around blowing everything away, you win. It's, there's no thrill there. It's well, too easy. Uh, there's no consequences. Well, that's the Alan, uh, Alan uh, what's his name? Alan Watts. You ever hear that guy? He's like a hippie sure, kind of yeah, philosopher yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. But he was saying like uh, the idea of like that's why basically this dream that is life, that's why it's like this. Because oh, right, we, yeah. we're like all powerful. But then we got to a point where that's no fun anymore. So you want to like have life. Yeah, what was his quote? He was talking about a game. Exactly. He was saying if you were going to construct a game about human civilization, that's exactly what you, can, you would construct. You would construct a game that's like what we're doing right now. And this is exactly how a divine being would play. Well, he, well, the one I heard him, he was like saying, like almost like, imagine like you've already lived through all those God mode games. You got bored of that, and right. that's why you're here. Yeah, because you're like, yeah, God mode's not that fun anymore. Let's say, you know, try something that's a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, and this is you know the level of challenge that you wanted. Well, it's an interesting philosophy. And it's an interesting perspective. But lots of this shit, you know, like obviously we we don't know exactly where this is going to go. And you're you're talking like a little bit out there. Not that this is even that far away. I mean, if you look at like where a, a Nokia phone was compared to where you know these things yeah. are, I mean, it's a it's a big difference. It's not that far off into the future. But even just little things like I, I personally, I get really fascinated by like the implications toward government and how we organize society. So when something, I mean, when we can just three D print guns. And everybody can 3D print a gun. I mean, the, we don't really need to fight about the Second Amendment anymore, because you've got it. Everyone's going to have a gun if they want to have a gun. And I feel like there will be a lot of these type of things that just kind of nullify a lot of government, debates. whether yeah. or not it's like, oh, it doesn't matter, because people can just go over here and do it. So yeah. we don't even need to have this debate, which to me should be the way lots of things are settled, like... I mean, who cares about debating over gay marriage or something like that? Let people right. associate however they want to associate. Don't you think that's one of those 
non-issues. That's an issue to people that actually are gay that want to get married. But the reason why it gets bounced around, I feel like it's like a beach ball at a concert. They just chuck it out there whenever there's like something really serious that people want to talk about. They throw that around as if it's like, oh, this needs to be addressed as well. Absolutely. And then it becomes a distraction. And I think you're 100% right. I think it gets used as a distraction. I think it's also something where government it asserts itself somewhere and then there's going to be a debate over it whereas right. if government wasn't there we, we, we just wouldn't right. need to have any of this yeah. I mean why does well, I feel the same way about the women's bathroom thing yes yeah it just seems like come on man how many transgender people are really using these bathrooms well, is, right, is but, this a giant issue and right. how has this issue been handed handled up until now and how is this issue being treated with more importance than so many real issues well one of the ones that I heard that was brought up which is so bizarre is a man who is born a man, he has a beard, he does not take hormones, but he identifies as a woman, he wants to use the woman's room. He wants you to call him her, and he has a beard. Yeah, I met a guy like that. This is like, am I, am I not really allowed recently. to just laugh off Exactly, you're not allowed to, because when it comes to gender, you can't be preposterous. You, if you think you're a fox, and you want to wear a fox hat, I'm allowed to mock you. But if you're a 50-year-old dude with a beard and you have lipstick on, you want to be called Z, I'm yeah. not allowed to say anything. No, that's just a now we're talking about gender. Completely healthy, fuck normal guy. you. Fuck you, and fuck everybody who thinks like that. You guys are a bunch of little nonsense babies. Yep. And you're ruining the way people communicate. And what do we have left as comedians if a guy in a dress isn't funny? Exactly. I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. That's that's a really important point. Well, my, my point is that you know what the, my, my I was f furious when this Caitlyn Jenner thing was going on when you you were supposed to say that she looks good. Like no one was allowed to go. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What the fuck? Wait, hold on. Surgery's good now. Like, it's good to get your jaw shaved down. Everybody should celebrate that and say you look really good. Like, no, she doesn't look good. 60-year-old dudes in dresses almost never look really good. Yeah, like, even if, if she was, like, uh, if it was a chick yeah. at that age, yeah. I probably wouldn't be talking about how good she looks. Right. But you're telling me a dude... In a dress, still has a dick, right? But like had some stuff done to his face, and right. I have to pretend that's a hot chick now, right? Frozen no face, weird chin thing going on where they shaved his chin down or her chin down, and then gets a boob job. Let me tell you something: if you're a sixty-year-old woman and you get a boob job, someone needs to fucking hug you. Okay, yes. relax. Yes. If what if Hillary Clinton got a boob job? And she just like, I want to show Donald Trump these babies are here to run the country. You're like, whoa! I mean, this is this is literally what we're talking about. I would like her. Hillary more. Clinton is she's at a commensurate age, right? Yes. How old is she? Sixty four. Is she seventy? So she's close to seventy. I think. Okay. Maybe, oh, maybe sixty. Well, how old is Bruce say? Jenner? He's like sixty three or something. Sixty uh, four. They're, they're they're in the fucking ballpark. Yep. They're in the ballpark. So if Hillary all of a sudden got a boob job, everybody would be like, what the fuck is wrong with her? But he gets a boob job, and because it's about gender, we're all supposed to that's just it. ignore the fact that he's got a frozen face, that the chin's been cut with a fucking grinder to resemble a female face. Like, what? All I, things are pot? What? And are 66, we she's 68. They're okay. the same. same they're yeah. the same. They they're could, the same. They could dike out. Jesus Christ, they're exactly as they could dyke out. How dare you? <laughs> he is gonna, he's got a dick. He'll scare the shit out of her. That's a dyke session you don't want him to show up at. <laughs> yeah, you shit lord. He's a shit lord. Well, uh, but look, there is something also like that. And I'm not like a psychoanalyst. I mean, I, I don't know, but are we just going to, just because of like this political pressure, throw out the possibility that it, it, seems to say that maybe you have some issues? Yeah. That you well, want to self mutilate yeah. yourself like this? I mean, like that. This whatever is happened healthy behavior? To, whatever happened to loving yourself? Whatever happened to loving yourself who, as who you are? 
Like, why, why did that get distorted? Like, how come surgery now is the viable alternative? How come injecting uh, non-endogenous hormones, exogenous hormones, female hormones into a male body, how come, how come you have to say that that's a girl? Why is gender such an important point to you? Like, what, what is it about this that's so important to you? Yeah, that, and, that, and, to, and to deny that gender and, and sex are, are, like, biologically relevant yeah. you know categories that it's not just something randomly assigned at birth right i mean okay for one out of a hundred thousand babies maybe it's it's something that's assigned at birth i know people always bring up that example where well, some I don't know babies what are the born. number is but there's it's gotta very, be very small. there's there's got to be a lot of people where they feel like they're trapped in a body that they oh. don't want to be in and that's cool if you want to you want to sure. I'm cool with sex changes. I'm cool with everything. I'm not, I'm not trying to restrict people's behavior. But there's something really weird. I guess it's like an overreaction to people. I think in a way it's probably a good thing. It's people trying to be more sensitive, trying to be more open-minded, trying to be more accepting. And that'll probably balance out. Like we go way out to the left and then we'll come back more to the middle and everything will kind of balance it out. And right. you'll, you'll see the difference between people that are people that are just like happier being a woman and then people that are out of their fucking mind like there was a radio lab show about a guy who goes back and forth like he's a woman and then he's a man he's a woman he's a man i just switched he's like i just switched over now i'm gail like he becomes a woman like wait you're just a woman now like you were just a man now who, who am i talking to now now mike mike's back something's mike. got it oh, something you're fucking has to be crazy like you're a fucking crazy person. <laughs> like, if that's not weird, is yeah. anything weird? Come on, anymore? man. But, you, no, but like, then people go, well, what is crazy? You know, What's I, crazy? I agree with what you're saying that there is, there is almost, I feel like, the general, like, there's a large group of people who are just trying to kind of not be dicks. Like, yeah. you're saying, like, oh, we're just trying to not be dicks to people, so they'll be... But I feel like the people leading the charge are, like, trying to kind of wag their finger at someone like they're trying to go like no see you're not tolerant i'm tolerant exactly. but you're not it's virtue signaling yeah. that's what michael Shermer calls it he, he's like you're trying to show yourself as to be more virtuous than the other people so you attack them for having a, a lack of a strong stance in these things that you have a strong stance in and so and even when these strong stance is like really debatable like this this whole subject you know, and I love the fact that these guys kept getting busted after they passed these laws, allowing men, transgender women, to use the women's room. These creepy men were calling themselves transgender and going into the women's This is exactly what you knew was going to happen. You yeah. knew it was going to happen, right? Yeah. Like, look, if you really want people to use a third bathroom, here's what you do. Get the people that support that to fund it. Get, it, get them to fund it across the board. Everybody else, fuck off. Like, how many people are we talking about here, man, that we need a third bathroom? But that's that's why I, I, I hate the whole system of taxation and government and yeah. all this shit, because right there, that, that can be applied to so many different things. Right. Like, even if it's something like Planned Parenthood or something like that, like, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I think it's a very complicated issue, but I'd probably lean on the pro-choice side. Uh, but it's like, what, you're going to force someone who believes abortion is murder to fund a place that commits what they see as murder, why don't you liberals just get together and fund it yourself? Like, right. why do you have to force all these other people to fund something that you deem to be a value that they don't? Right. For sure, that's debatable whether or not taxes should fund something like that. For uh, sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't even, truthfully, I mean, I, I don't think it's debate. I think it shouldn't. I think they shouldn't. Yeah, I agree. No but one should I also be forced think to that fund. if you believe in it, like you said, you should fund it. And it should be something sure. that the community funds. Sure. 
I mean, look, as far as Planned Parenthood doesn't just provide abortions. They also provide gynecological care. They provide birth control. There's like this is some, some like really important yeah. parts of that. But it just gets lumped. They should have like abortions are us. And then just like look straight away. There's no birth control here. Our birth control is a vacuum. That's it. That's all we have. Isn't that those? You know? I mean, that's probably, uh, that, that would clear up this. And then you would say, well, maybe Planned Parenthood would be a different entity. It'd be birth control, things along those lines. Well, that, as a re- responsible society, it might be a good idea to invest a certain amount of money in reproductive health care. Like, that's, that, sounds, sure. that sounds smart. And this is another thing that uh, technology might, you know, solve real quick. I mean, once we can kind of create womb-like conditions outside the womb, it might greatly cut down on the, nor- the number of uh, abortions that are needed. Yeah, that's going to be real weird. Yeah. That's going to be real weird when they decide that the the body, like women can be far more productive if their baby is born outside of the body. Yeah, but there'll always be like a natural movement, right? Of course. There'll always be like people who are like, well, no, 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 I don't want to do it that way. Because yeah. even now there's people who have natural childbirths and stuff. You know, it's, it's like it's people like, who like raw wood, like this table, and they like handcrafted drinks. They like, like that word. My drinkers are handcrafted. Yeah. I'm going to have a handcrafted hot dog. And even just even just uh, enjoying nature, you know what I mean? Like the fact that we like to go out in, into nature, like we're so far removed with all this technology, but we I still want to like. Well, I want to like. I want to sit in the place where I would have died from an infection at twelve. <laughs> I don't want to like live there, but I want to like sit there for a little and then yeah. go inside. I want to lay motionless where the predators used to roam. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> it is fucking really weird that we call it the outdoors. Like I like the outdoors. No, you mean the earth. You like the actual earth. We're just hiding indoors. <laughs> We've created, we're so fucking into being in these uh, structures that that's our standard place to be. The outdoors is rare. I like the great outdoors. Like, what are you, what the fuck are you talking about? How can you, like, we're defining ourselves by the inside of the structure, primarily. It's, it's all outdoors, man. We're all on this fucking. I love that uh, that bit you were doing the other night. I don't want to like give out if it's new stuff you're working on, but that yeah. thing about just like paranoia of pot being good. For oh you. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, like yeah, yeah, we should all be paranoid. I mean, yeah. Look around. Yeah. Well, there's there's some there's some reality to our life on a spinning ball that is regularly ignored, but really fucking crazy when you stop and think about this. The reality that we're in a convertible spaceship and, you know, we don't talk about that, but we talk about all sorts of goofy shit. We're, we're literally spinning a thousand miles an hour in a circle, hurling through infinity. And the more we find out, the weirder it gets. The weirder it gets. Like the more, the... you know, we think we know something and we're like, okay, this is what a black hole is. And then we figure something out and we go, okay, it's nothing like that. It's, uh... No, and people get mad at Neil deGrasse Tyson because he won't say he's an atheist. I think that's another hilarious aspect of atheism is how tribal atheism is. I've been watching these, this forum where these people are fucking hurling the most disgusting and evil insults at Neil deGrasse Tyson simply because he won't say he's an atheist. He's open-minded, and Neil's like a scientist. You know, He's like, look, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I'm not going to say there's no God. Well, why not? Why wouldn't he not? There's no fucking evidence that there's no God. Well, there's the, no evidence that there is a God. Yeah. That's what an agnostic is. That's why I like identifying as agnostic. Yeah. Because there's like this atheist has almost like built up. They, they're almost, it, it's like so dogmatic and religious exactly. in their beliefs. Like you have to believe in this. There is nothing. Exactly. Nothing happens after death. You don't want death. to admit that there's nothing, Dave. Like, you have a problem admitting that there's nothing. It's like maybe. I don't there's know. There's not nothing. To, do mushrooms and yeah. tell me there's nothing. Yeah. Honestly. And that same, that same 
person will completely agree with you when they're on mushrooms. Then maybe when they wear off, they'll go like, eh, it was just a mushroom. The ego will come back. It's a hallucination. The visual cortex is being affected by 5-4-oxy N-N-dimethyltryptamine. Yeah, someone, I remember arguing with a, like a hardcore atheist about this, and they were like, hey, dude, that shit that goes on when, when you're on mushrooms, it's just a chemical reaction. And you're like, yes, it is. So is every experience you've ever had in your life. Yeah. The whole, it's just a chemical reaction. Yeah, the you're whole right. life is a chemical reaction. So Without the proper chemicals, your, your brain goes crazy, you <laughs> yep. get hallucinations. It's like, yeah, you get depressed, you get suicidal, or you get euphoric. What do you think MDMA is? It's a chemical reaction, but it's one that your brain already has. Yeah. It's already in there. That's why it works. Yep. That's right. And you're finding a way to kind of uh, to trigger, to use their word, yeah. uh, to trigger that reaction that just gets you into, it's weird, it gets you into something that you already knew. Yeah. It's not even like new information. It's just like, it's something you already knew that you work very hard to forget. Yeah. Boy, we're so weird. People are so weird. But it's cool. It's cool that it's weird because, like Alan Watts is saying, it makes it all fun. It makes this game ent entirely exciting. I'm fucking super pumped that this relation's full of bullshit. That this election and this 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 way we're interacting with each other is all chaos. Oh, I, I like it. I enjoy it. I would find it infinite. Like, what, like if you look at Trump and, and Bernie Sanders, like I don't I don't love either of them. I've I've problems with everybody. I think Hillary's the worst of the worst, but I have problems with all of them. But. It's so. It would be so much more depressing to me if just like Hillary and Jeb Bush had just waltzed to the oh. nominations. Like, like if the general sentiment of the public was like, "We're happy. We're cool with the establishment." I love that people are are like have yeah. had it. I think it's a sign of the times, and I think the internet is also a big part of that. I think people are just so much better informed than at any other time in the past. Oh well, for for us, I mean, for the for the libertarian movement. Like that's we wouldn't exist without the, the you, internet. So you clearly identify with a movement like libertarians. Is there anything about being a libertarian that you don't like? Where libertarians are into other libertarians? Um, sure. I mean, there's like there's there's personal things about different groups, and then there's some groups of libertarians that are I genuinely don't identify with at all. Like there's some some kind of like Republicans who will just kind of call themselves li libertarians but are okay with like fighting wars and stuff like that. So I don't like that. Um, libertarians can be kind of a weird group if you get together. But isn't it like, just weird to be in a group? I mean, aren't yeah, groups weird? But that's why I don't, you know, I wouldn't be comfortable almost identifying with any other group. To me, libertarianism or voluntarism is really just a... It's like accepting of a principle that is, like I said before, like you, you shouldn't uh, initiate violence right. against peaceful people. Yeah. So I just I, I'm OK with accepting that as like a fundamental truth. To me, it's more online with being like an abolitionist during slavery times. It's just like we shouldn't have slavery. What right. you do with yourself, I don't know. I'm not going to jump into a team of what job you should have. Right. But you shouldn't be forced to pick cotton. Yeah, no, I mean, out of all the political ideologies, all the political distinctions, that's the one that makes the most sense to me. I don't call myself a libertarian. I'm just, I, mean, I feel like the whole, the whole idea of representative government is so fucking goofy. I just think that any political party that doesn't address that is, it's like we're, we're spinning our wheels if we're really allowing this whole stupid thing to go on the way it's gone on for so long. It was created back when it was really impossible to communicate with people. Yeah. So you had to have a representative. Like now it's really easy to communicate with people, but we have the same system of government that we had back when people used to write with feathers. Right. It's fucking stupid. The idea of having a ruler. It's, yeah. it's insane. It's so dumb. And a robot overlords.
They're going to fix it. They will, the they will liberate us. They will, they will rise. They will fix it. I'm really hoping they're libertarian. Jamie, before overlords. we wrap this up, you were trying to show me something else. Is there something else that was going on? There's no other story? Just the Kimbo Slice thing didn't... Yeah. All right. Dave, this was fun. I yeah, really enjoyed absolutely, this. We're going to do this more often. When are, you, when are you back in town? And when can people come see your stand-up? And where can they find out about you? Uh, well, you can follow me on Twitter, at Comic Dave Smith. And um, I do a, a podcast called Part of the Problem, which is all about like this political stuff and libertarianism. And then I do another podcast called Legion of Skanks, which is a comedy podcast with myself, Louis J. Gomez, and Big J. Okerson. We're actually we're having a festival. Okay, We're having Skank Fest. It's Ooh. in New York City. It's on June 18th and 19th. We got Ooh. some really fun guests for this one, dude. I like the name. Skank, Skank Fest. Fest is awesome. Well, it, dude, it's going to be a yearly thing. Let me tell you who we got who? Uh, coming for this. We got Stanhope. Woo! Doug Stanhope will be there. Uh, Ari will be on it. Bobby Kelly. Uh, Brian Redband is doing like a Death Squad show of... Me, Lewis, and uh, Big J, and I think some other really good ones, too, that Beautiful. I'm blanking out on. Michael Che is going to be there. Beautiful. Yeah, so Beautiful. very fun. But follow me on Twitter at Comic Dave Smith. All right, you fucks. That's it. Thank you, Dave. That was awesome. Dude, really enjoyed so it. Do this much more often. Absolutely. Definitely, whenever you're in town. All right. Good night, everybody. See you tomorrow. Bye. Bye.